Lord has given me a gift. Only one. I am the most complete fighter in the world. Hello and welcome back to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. I'm your host, Mike Scott, on this journey through the career of one of the most exciting action stars of all time. This week, we get into another foundational movie in Adkins' career and my second favorite film of his overall. It's a true classic of the genre and an absolutely exceptional film on all fronts. That's right, we're talking Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. And to help me with that, I'm bringing back a returning champion, the editor of F This Movie, and one of the biggest influences on me getting into podcasting to begin with, Patrick Bromley. Patrick and I share a mutual love of this flick, and it was a blast to get to talk to him about it. Scott joins me as always to talk about making the film as well, and we have our longest and best conversation yet. It's very clear that Scott is incredibly proud of this movie, as he should be. So stick around, because this is an extra-large episode. But before we get into Day of Reckoning, we need to spend some time talking about Universal Soldier as a franchise. One of the weirdest, messiest franchises out there, in spite of its relatively high quality. Seriously, even the Highlander producers are like, we ain't that messy. It was a top secret government project. Back them in ice, all of them. Designed to create the perfect soldier. No man would ever again have to die in the service of his country. Cryogenically preserved. Okay, guys. Memory clearance. Genetically enhanced. How's the picture? Pretty ugly. Very funny, very funny. Programmed to obey. They're at the tower. Okay, okay, here we go. Who are these guys? 30 hostages held inside the power station at the base of the structure. I said shut up! Go inside. Begin phase two. This marks the third successful mission for the Universal Soldier. But there was something they didn't count on. He's not responding. GR-44, do you read me? At the end of the mission, he became completely unresponsive. Inside the machine is a man. Do you really think the Pentagon would allow the regeneration of dead soldiers? Stop the girl. Shoot if you have to. And all it takes... Veronica Roberts, TNA. ...is one memory. You didn't do anything! To awaken him. Let's go! Hit it! Traitor. Universal soldier. What the hell did they do to you? Don't know. But I'm going to find out. One can't be controlled. Buckle up. The other. Cannot be stopped. This mission has been canceled. I'm giving the orders from now on. I'm gonna teach them all. Are we having fun yet? The ultimate weapons of the future have declared war on each other. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren. Universal Soldier. Stop. That is an order.
Universal Soldier was released in 1992. Directed and written by up-and-coming blockbuster filmmakers Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, it helped lay the groundwork for their careers, careers that would culminate in possibly the platonic ideal of the modern blockbuster in Independence Day. Regardless of what you think of ID4, you cannot deny its cultural impact. But first, they had a story to tell about reanimated soldiers doing battle when one soldier regains memories of his life before. The film was high on the radar for action fans as it featured the first ever team-up of Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. If you're younger, I can't explain how big of a deal this was. Big action stars of the 80s and early 90s just didn't appear in one another's movies. It's far more commonplace now, especially with stuff like the MCU, but the idea that Frank Dukes and Yvonne Drago would be appearing in the same movie blew young Mikey's mind. For those who haven't seen it, Universal Soldier stars Van Damme as Luke Devereaux, a private during the Vietnam War who's killed when his psychotic Sergeant Andrew Scott, played by Lundgren, tries to massacre innocent civilians. Both Devereaux and Scott kill each other. Years later, the two are reanimated as unstoppable super soldiers called Unisols. Unfortunately, the mind-wiping process doesn't work as promised, and Devereaux and Scott regain their memories and resume their battle. Devereaux teams with reporter Veronica Roberts, played by Allie Walker, to try and survive and uncover the Unisol program while stopping Scott. Universal Soldier has all the big action you'd expect from Emmerich and Devlin, even though it is on a bit lower scale, and Lundgren goes full ham in this one. It's not top-tier Van Damme, but he does do some nice character work, and the last fight between him and Dolph is one of my favorites. The movie was a decent-sized hit, grossing $95 million worldwide on a $23 million budget. But since the film was bankrolled by the soon-to-be-bankrupt Carloco, there was never really an opportunity for a sequel, at least on the big screen. A few years later, two made-for-TV movies were created, both to be released in 1998. Universal Soldier Brothers in Arms and Universal Soldier Unfinished Business would see former football player Matt Battaglia take over for Van Damme and NYPD Blues' Chandra West take over for Walker. The films also star Burt Reynolds and Gary Busey. They're both directed by prolific TV director Jeff Wolnoff, and they're shot back-to-back in Canada... The films were initially released on the movie channel. Uh, for those who don't remember that, it's the old cable channel that used to air Joe Bob Briggs before he went to TNT and now Shudder. And then it got they got heavy rotation on the sci-fi channel. As one might expect, the budgets are astronomically smaller than what the original movie was, and the movies aren't that great. I will give them credit, though, for being proper sequels to the film, as they follow Devereaux and, and Roberts as they try and reveal the Unisol program to the world while fighting newer models of Unisols. The best thing the movies do is add the great action star Jeff Wincott to the cast as Devereaux's heretofore unmentioned brother. Anytime you can watch Jeff Wincott, it's a good thing. I mean, they're made for TV movies. They're kind of what you'd expect. If you want to see them, they did get a DVD release at some point, but they're also streaming on Amazon Prime, Hulu, and Tubi here in the U.S., and I'm sure if you're outside the U.S., they're streaming on several places as well. After the TV movies, Universal Soldier as a brand seemed dead in the water, but you can't keep a good IP down. It came back with Van Damme in a new sequel called Universal Soldier The Return that completely ignored the TV movies. To borrow a phrase from Screen Crush's Matt Singer, it was one of the first legacy sequels we had seen. 
Along with Van Damme comes wrestler Bill Goldberg, former model Heidi Schantz, she was the pride victim in Seven, and the great Michael Jai White. The film is directed by stuntman Mick Rogers. The Return finds Devereaux living a happy life with a teenage daughter as he works training a new generation of unisols that are supposed to be more human and therefore less likely to turn into homicidal killing machines. The new unisols are controlled by an AI named Seth, but when budget cuts lead to the program being shut down, Seth goes rogue and with him so do the unisols. Seth ultimately implants himself into a human body played by White and only Devereaux can stop them while trying to save his daughter and a report played by chance what is it with luke and reporters dude has a type for sure the return was not well received and kind of signaled the end of an era with a budget of 40 to 50 million it only pulled in around 10 million domestic and it would become the last major theatrical release van damme had until kung fu panda 2 I like this movie more than most, but there's no question it's not top-tier Van Damme. Goldberg is downright awful in it, and White is still early in, in his career, although he is easily the high point of the movie. The weirder part is, it just feels completely detached from the original Universal Soldier. The style and tone is completely different, and the Unisols act in no way like the originals. I understand they're supposed to be newer models or who are more human, but it, it just doesn't fit. And, and as I say to Patrick when I talk to him about it, I almost feel like the movie would have been more well-received if it had just been called Super Soldiers or something. So, with the failure of the return, it looked like Luke Devereaux was dead once again. Enter John Hyams. The son of noted director and cinematographer Peter Hyams, John graduated from Syracuse University and became a painter and sculptor initially. His first feature, entitled One Dog Day, was released in 1997 to some acclaim and some festival plays and stuff like that. After that, Hyams moved into directing full-time, including some episodes of NYPD Blue and a documentary about MMA fighter Mark Kerr entitled The Smashing Machine, The Life and Times of Mark Kerr. Hyams immersed himself into MMA culture to make that which would provide the basis for his next feature, Universal Soldier Regeneration. A rogue militia threatening to blow up Chernobyl has armed themselves with the next generation, Universal Soldier. You're very good today. The mission is simple. Gentlemen. We'll be fighting against the perfect soldier. The battle. We're going in. Impossible. Complete evac. Pull them out. Our only hope is to start him up again. I'm going back. I'm going to fight. But standing in his way, not one. But two. Been over this all before. This time, Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky and Dolph Lundgren again take on Jean-Claude Van Damme in the final showdown. Universal Soldier Regeneration. Coming soon. Released in 2010, Regeneration would once again eschew the sequels in favor of a direct sequel to the 1992 original. Instead of being happy and well-adjusted with a child, we find Luke Devereaux, once again played by Van Damme, dealing with the fallout of his time as a unisol. 
Devereaux can barely act human and suffers from severe PTSD, even after 20 years. A broken shell of a man, the film finds Devereaux working with therapists to restore some sense of his former humanity and try and acclimate into society. A terrorist group takes control of a nuclear power plant, and since they have a next-generation Unisol on their side, they make short work of the U.S. and Ukraine special forces sent in to stop them. The only option is to reactivate Devereaux, destroying any chance he may have for a normal life. Massive amounts of bloodshed and some of the most brutal fights you will ever see in a movie ensue. Hyams populates the film with several MMA fighters, most notably UFC heavyweight champ Andre Arlovsky and WEC welterweight champ Mike Pyle, and allows stunt coordinators Borislav Ilyev and Charlie Percini to turn them and the Alpha Stunt Bulgaria guys loose. What results is one of the best DTV action films of all time, and a brutal, sad, blistering piece of cinema that, to be honest, kind of shook the world of DTV to its core. When this thing came out, folks, it dropped like a bombshell uh, as far as how people reacted to it. Van Damme turns in some of his best work, both on the acting and the action front, and Arlovsky proves to be as much of a beast on screen as he was in the ring. If you watch as many movies starring MMA guys as I do, you know that actually isn't often the case. Looking at you, Anderson Silva. The film also features the return of Lundgren's Andrew Scott for the first time since the original, and he and Van Damme have a brilliant fight scene that alone makes the movie a winner. If you haven't seen Regeneration yet, I'm not sure what you're even doing here. Unfortunately, Regeneration was released DTV and as such was only a modest success, but it was a big enough hit and certainly got enough critical acclaim that Hyams was brought back for its sequel, Day of Reckoning. Uninterested in making a bog-standard sequel, Hyams takes Day of Reckoning in a completely different direction. He brings back Van Damme, Lundgren, and Arlovsky, but adds a new wild card into the mix. The one and only Scott Adkins. Daddy! There's monsters in the house. What the hell? No! No! Created in a laboratory. Programmed to kill. I noticed we live among them like ghosts. Waiting for the moment when our oppressors shall be forced to kneel before us! The day of reckoning! Betrayed, they seek freedom. Led by the undisputed Universal Soldier. We're brothers. We're one one. But one man, haunted by grief. You don't remember anything, do you? I had a family. Consumed by vengeance. You tell me who he is. If you go looking for Devereaux, he'll find you first. Unleashes the soul of a warrior. Plumber to work. Get Jean Claude Van Damme, Scott Adkins, with Dolph Lundgren in the ultimate battle. Hello, soldier. 
to the end. Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning. There is no end. Adkins plays John, an amnesiac victim of a violent assault that found his family brutally murdered. John is informed of and has memories of the murderer, one Luke Devereaux. John sets off on a path of vengeance that will reveal there is far more to him and the story than he could ever possibly know. What results is maybe the pinnacle of DTV action. I've been pretty upfront that Undisputed 3 is my favorite Adkins film and one of my favorite films of all time, but if somebody wanted to argue that Day of Reckoning is the greatest DTV action movie ever, I absolutely have time to hear that argument. Hyams tells David J. Moore at Flickering Myth, With Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, that's a perfect example. That's a movie the studio and people have not always felt entirely confident about until we started reading people's reactions to it. I didn't deliver to them Regeneration Part 2. I really went in a different direction. That certainly made some people nervous. They needn't have been. Hyams gives the franchise the exact shot in the arm it needed. Hyams brings back most of the same crew that worked with him on Regeneration, including his father as, as DP. However, changing filming locations from Bulgaria to Louisiana means the alpha stunt guys aren't involved. Instead, Hyams adds one other major component to the film. The amazing Larnell Stovall as fight coordinator, fresh off his massive success in Undisputed 3. Stovall manages to craft fight scenes that are as brutal as those in Regeneration while still allowing the actors, particularly Ad to perform feats that feel superhuman. I talk about it more with Patrick, but the Sporting Goods Store fight and the Wonder in the Cavern are just absolute all-timers. I hope it's clear how much I love and respect what Hyams and his team accomplished with this movie, and how much bringing in Adkins really kicks it to a whole new level. On casting Adkins, Hyams tells more, as we started going through the process of casting this movie, I remember thinking, I really need an actor for this role. I didn't want a fighter or a stuntman. I wanted someone who could act, and if we would have to double him, then we'd double him. I needed someone who could handle the role dramatically. The further along the road we went, I realized I needed somebody who could do both. Part of the allure of these movies is not just the dramatic performance, but it is also him fighting. We were kind of anointing another action star here. If he's going to be involved in this movie, it couldn't just be another actor who we would double in the fight scenes. It reached a point where Scott Adkins was the only guy we could think of that could combine all of these elements and was relatively unknown in the United States, which helped as well. We wanted the audience to have their own sense of discovery with him. When you see the movie, he's not necessarily breaking out his repertoire until two-thirds into the movie. It was nice to watch him slowly reveal what he's capable of as the movie progressed. Scott did a brilliant job. He's a real pleasure to work with. He's one of the hardest working guys I've ever worked with. He's an incredibly talented guy. He's so prepared. And that's when you realize that if he's able to perform at that level and do the kind of things he does, you have to be prepared, not just dramatically, but physically. He's basically a stuntman who can act. He's both. And that's very rare. I honestly, as you guys know, couldn't agree with Hyams more on this. It's one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast, but 
no reason to hear it from me. Scott and I sat down and went really deep on this one. We get into how he injured his knee, and in an Adkins Undisputed exclusive, we discover how he was a lot closer to being Batman than we ever knew. Yeah, man. All right, so the dates on the next couple of movies are a little wonky because according to IMDb, we have in 2012 Day of Reckoning, Expendables 2, Zero Dark Thirty, and your first episode of Metal Herlant. I don't know if you shot them all, all the Metal Herlants together, but your first at least in 2012. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Which one did you film first i think you mentioned that you filmed day of reckoning actually quite a bit before it got released yes yes day of reckoning was shot may 2011 through through june now i'm going to tell you something that i've never said before but i think enough time has passed that i might as well just be truthful about it but um as you know, I've got this whole Batman thing around me. But what people don't know is that actually I've, I've worn the bat suit. I have worn it. No <laughs> shit. Seriously? Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've had that thing on, the official one. Um, because what happened was the, the, they've always sort of dangled the stunt carrot in front of me, stuntmen, especially in the UK. So Tom Struthers, who was the stunt coordinator for The Dark Knight Rises, actually approached me before to do stunts on X-Men, one of the X-Men films. And I was like, no, I, I don't do stunts. I, you know, I'm an actor. Uh, but he asked for that, and he asked for something else, I think. And other people have asked in the past, and I always turn it down. But at this point in my career, I think my first child was on the way. And I had like two or three jobs in a row just completely fall fall out you know i was about to get on the plane to do one of them and then it was like no it's cancelled it's not happening and you know i'm with my wife and i'm starting to worry about the future and you know i'd had in between assassination games and undisputed i'd not worked an awful lot really and so the call came in we're doing dark knight rises i would like you to be the stunt double for batman and and Bane, actually more so Bane, but we'd like you to, when Bane fights Batman, you're going to double Bane. But when Batman fights other people, I want you to double Batman. Um, so for six weeks, I was in England in 2011 as part of the stunt team for The Dark Knight Rises, working with Bobby Holland Hansen and uh, Buster Reeves. And yeah, was uh, I promised them that I would be on the entirety of the show. Wouldn't let them down. So about two weeks into this, I get the phone call about Universal Soldier. And it said that we want you to star in it, Scott. And I'm like, damn, this is great news. This is brilliant because I was such a big fan of Regeneration. I thought John Himes did a fantastic job. They'd offered me a part in uh, Regeneration, but I didn't feel it was big enough for me, so I didn't do it. Now they're offering, off, I was really blown away by the movie when I watched it. And then they're offering me the lead in, in this new one. And I was like, man, this is great. I'm going to do that. But I promised the, the Batman guys that I wasn't going to let them down. So it was in a bit of a situation. Now, you can look at this one or two ways, bad luck or good luck. 
no, it's definitely bad luck. But I was messing about um, on the, the, you know, after lunch on the at Cardigan, where it was that place that we were training for Batman, and I just decided to do a side somersault followed by a, a punch front side somersault. And it was after lunch and I, I hadn't warmed up properly. I don't know why I did it, it was stupid. And I tore my ACL in my left knee. And, you know, that's a terrible injury for anyone who's had that. They know, they know how bad it is. And then I was thinking, well, man, am I going to be able to do Universal Soldier? It's, a, it's in six weeks time or something. Um, I definitely can't stay on Batman as a stuntman because I've, I've hurt myself badly. I'm not going to be able to do what they wanted me to do. And to their credit, they kept saying, it's okay, Scott, we'll, we'll look after you. We, we've given you this part. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. And I'm saying, no, 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 I'm a lame horse. You've got to let me go. And I already knew that I was going to go and do Universal Soldier, even though I could barely walk at the time. I just thought, I'm going to go and do it. So I got out of the Batman thing. And I turned up in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, six weeks from tearing my ACL completely and ripping off parts of my meniscus and everything. It was a bad version of that injury. And I didn't, hadn't told anyone about the injury because I didn't want them to turn around and get somebody else. It was a big opportunity for me. Kept it quiet as long as I could. And eventually I told Larnell, the fight coordinator, Listen, I'm not going to be able to do some of these kicks. You've got lined up my my knee. I've, I've busted it, and it's it's in a bad way. Um, so that was a bit of a nerve wracking time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I knew you had blown out your knee because because you know we'll talk about it when we get to it. But I know you know you were pretty upfront on Expendables too that that your knee wasn't up to snuff but i i a did not realize that it was on batman so that is an adkins undisputed exclusive folks that's an exclusive (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh and b i didn't realize that you had filmed all of day of reckoning with your knee jacked up uh because damn does it not look like it in that movie well this is it like for the first half of the movie, I wasn't aware that you could get a knee brace that would go from um, the calf all the way up to halfway up the thigh and would support it like, like a knee ACL. For some reason, I hadn't got the memo about that. I was wearing this flimsy knee brace and everything, just trying to do my best. And I, I, ripped, I ripped it again. There's a scene where the, I did the fight with Andre in the sporting goods store. And there's that flip at the end, um, which actually was done by a stunt a stuntman. Uh, he came in and he did it for me. Now, obviously, I've done it in many other movies, and it's a move that I actually invented. Uh, but I couldn't do it because I just didn't have the power to. Ju- I tried to do it. I tried to jump off his chest with the injured leg and kick with my right leg, which is the way I would normally do it. And I'm going to land on my right leg, so that was, wasn't a problem with the ACL. But I didn't have the strength to properly push off his chest. I couldn't do it, so. We had a, a good stunt guy, I can't remember his name, and he did it from the one shot. And then we were going to do over, the sh- over Andre's shoulder on my face. And so I said, okay, I'll just do the second half of the movement. And I said to Andre, listen, we'll do the Bruce Lee thing. You hold my injured leg and we'll do the, the Bruce Lee kick where you know he flips through the air, kicks in in the face. 
So the other guy did the beginning of it and we'll get the second half. And Andrei Arlovsky being Andrei Arlovsky tried to throw me through the ceiling. And I, <laughs> I over-rotated. And instead of landing daintily on my right leg, which wouldn't have been a problem, I was over-rotating and forced to land on my left. And it smashed off another piece of meniscus <laughs> and almost put me back to square one. Um, and then someone brought me this knee brace, which actually really helped. And so I was able to wear this knee brace for the rest of 2011, which ended up being a really uh, busy year, you know, with Al Gringo and Metal Hurl and, and eventually Expendables too. And I should have had surgery way before, but, you know, I wanted to do these, these good projects I was being offered, and especially the Expendables. And so after the Expendables, I decided to get the, the operation done, and that was a nine-month rehab thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was tough at times. It really was. It's very painful. Yeah, I can only imagine. So that because one of the things I wanted to, I love Universal Soldier. That is second only to Undisputed Three as my favorite movie that you've ever done. Uh, I I actually a, a good friend of mine. He's he's a guest on the podcast uh patrick bromley he did a twitter birthday festival because we were all in lockdown he picked all the movies we all watched them and followed along on twitter and one of the ones he picked was day of reckoning and it was just such a delight to see all the people who'd never seen this crazy lynchian horror movie that then all of a sudden busts out into scott adkins larnell stovall insane action it was just such a delight to see everybody react to that but that oneer in the tunnels before you face off with van before you face off with dolphin van dam so you were doing that with the brace on the whole time that was your knee was just yeah. shot and you had the brace on the whole time yeah i had the brace at that point that was towards the end of the schedule everything in the cave and the end fights i had the brace um it was the other action sequences that came uh, earlier on in the film where I didn't have the brace. The majority of the action sequences were done at the end, actually. So, yeah. Because um, that one... I, mean, I, remember the, I remember the bit when I come into the flat and I grab uh, the girl and I'm trying to hush her up and she's struggling. When someone like that is is struggling and you've got no ACL, you realize how much your ACL, what it does to keep your knee stable when when somebody's moving around and you're trying to steady them, that, that was like, I had to say, listen, please just stop struggling because you're going to make my knee much worse. But she kept struggling. So, yeah. Yeah, no. I, I, yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, it was great working with Andrei Olovsky because he doesn't seem to have any speed other than zero. His intensity is zero to hundred percent you know what I mean every take he came at me like he wanted to destroy me <laughs> and he was wild that we had props breaking and stuff he would smash through the prop axe now this is very naughty but sometimes we were using a real axe because he kept breaking the, the fake ones so some, you know and if he had to smash into one of those cupboards the, the prop axe wasn't going to go into it so he was using a real axe and things like that and uh same with the baseball bats. We ended up using real baseball bats. It was complete insanity. But uh, it was great working with him because he's just full on, man. He just 
come at you like a, a man possessed. Well, and again, that fight, it was so funny watching everybody on Twitter because, you know, the John Hyams does all these strobe effects and stuff and people were kind of like, what's this movie? And then we get to that sporting goods store fight and me and Patrick and the other people that had seen the movie were just like, oh, just wait. You know, and that fight scene is, is I think, one of the all-time greatest fight scenes you've ever done. It it's it's gif made right because we get the scene of you catching the bat but we also get that amazing scene of you punching the cue ball and it explodes which is just such a like i can't even explain it it's just such a promo shot right like that is a trailer that, that that did that hurt because we did one take before maybe we did a few takes i think there was two of those balls and they they didn't it didn't look as good as what we wanted so i think they glued one back together and that made it really hard. So on the one where it exploded properly, I, I remember it really hurting as I punched it, but I had to keep that stone face, you know, like I'm cool. But inside I was thinking, shit, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine because the glue is going to be stronger than the, uh, the material that the cue ball's made out of. So you're punching through the glue and that is not going to feel good at all. Um, yeah. that one was that a, uh, and I don't want to go too far behind the curtain movie magic and all that, but was that a true one or was there, was there subtle no, cuts? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a true one. And John was okay that it didn't have to look perfect. In fact, there's a bit that they cut out. There's a bit where you go into the darkness and that's always where the cut is. And there's a bit where we come out of the darkness and I'm slightly to the left and it's a bit of a weird looking cut. Because what actually happens is there was one section where we went into darkness, we came out of it, and, and it, it turns into a POV computer game type thing where I've got uh, the shotgun, I think, and then I, I grab this axe and I, I throw an axe into someone. And uh, for whatever reason, John cut it out of the film. I, I'd never seen it, so I don't know what the reason was. Uh, but that's why there's that weird cut there. And also, you need to see the uncut version because they made some trims on some of the violence. Um, but he didn't want people to think, oh, that's, that's a real one. It was very stylized. And the problem we had on that movie, the whole thing, was that we were filming it with a 3D camera. They'd requested, we were getting more money for it being in 3D. John didn't really want to do it in 3D, but that was the way it went. So we had this massive 3D rig with the, the mirrors, very heavy for the camera guy to operate. Um, and I don't know why, but they told us that because it was the 3D camera, we couldn't have playback. I don't know if that was just the producer not wanting to spend any more money, to be honest. But we couldn't check the the takes. So you had to rely that whoever was watching it, and Larnell was watching it for the fights to say whether it was a hit or whether it wasn't. Uh, but for something like that, Wanna, to cheat where I would be in the frame when you continue to the next shot, you really need to check the previous shot and to match it up. Um, but we could never do that because of that. So, you know, um, didn't make it easy. Well, so I do want to say that I actually own Day of Reckoning three different times. I own the original U.S. Blu-ray. I own the U.K. 3D Blu-ray, and I own the Canadian uncut. Uh, so I have seen the uncut version. Um, and that that is... For folks listening, that is definitely the preferred version. Seek that one out. I believe you can also find it digitally online 
but as far as I know, the only Blu-ray is is the Canadian or the easiest Blu-ray to get is the Canadian one. I will say that I have seen that movie probably six or seven times, and I have never noticed the weird like that weird cut because I think that oneer is first of all narratively the the build up with them drilling into your head and stuff like that and then you finally going just unleashed for lack of a better term works so well and that oneer works so well I'll be honest I've never noticed any wonky edits that's why I had to ask you because honestly I yeah. kind of thought it was a true oneer because I get so captivated oh, cool. by that scene that I didn't even notice those cuts. Yeah, no, pretty much every time it goes to darkness, uh, there is a cut. The thing is like, so John Wick these days, and they do very long takes in, in one shot and it's up close with a gun shooting people in the head. Um, that's kind of new technology. The, the, to be able to do CGI blood at that level is, you couldn't have done that back, back in 2011, I don't think. And John just prefers practical effects anyway over that. And I do as well, to be honest. So to do that whole sequence in one real long take, the margin for error of getting all those squibs to go off at the right time and all the blood effects, you, you'd never be able to do it. It would just be, you know, it's just impossible to line because you've got the cameraman working. He's got to be correct. All the fight guys have got to be correct. The stunt guys and me have got to be in unison. And then you've got the special effects guys blowing the squibs at the correct time, you know, and the, it, sometimes they just don't work. So you couldn't do that like that unless you had CGI blood. And I think back then it just didn't look good enough, to be honest. No, CGI. I mean, CGI blood now is barely uh, good enough, I think. Uh, and I knew, you know, in my soul, I knew that it wasn't a true one. Or I mean, in an intellectually, I knew too. I just think it's a credit yeah. to John and... Larnell and you and everybody involved that it is such a compelling oneer, and and you know we are going to talk about a couple of other oneers that you've done down the road that I think are equally incredible. But, but within that oneer, there were long takes, and I tell you, it's a high pressure situation because you don't want to be the one to make the mistake because everyone just looks at you like, oh, all right. Back to back to one. Let's reset. And so for the for the for the makeup special effects guys is high pressure. The stunt guys, you know, I mean me. If I make a mistake, I can pretty much get away with it because I'm the star of the film, right? But if you're like fifth stunt guy from the left, and you're the one that balls it up, you're going to feel pretty bad about it. So those those things are they're a lot of fun actually. It's a high pressure situation, and I actually kind of enjoy it. But uh, you don't want to be the one to mess up. No, no, I can imagine that. That's why I, I am always kind of a sucker for, for whether they're, you know, sort of fake, for lack of a better term, oneers or real oneers. I'm, I'm just always amazed because I know the intricacies involved and uh, I am always impressed when they're pulled off because it's, it's truly just one of the things that makes cinema so fun when somebody pulls stuff, especially when they're doing something like they are in, in universal soldier where you've got all these stunts and all these fights and all these special effects and stuff all having to come together because that's the thing you're, I, what you said that they're long takes like no matter how much, you know, 
editing there isn't a one-er, you still have to do it as long takes or it's not going to look like a one-er. So no matter what, you still have to do these really long takes. Yeah. I guess the best one I've ever done is the close range one. That's yeah, that was the longest, that the was longest. the other one that I was thinking of. I actually just uh, we'll get to close range, but I just rewatched yeah. that today and tweeted out that that is one of the most amazing things that you and Isaac have ever done because that is just action perfection. That is just chef's kiss. But uh, we'll talk more about that because I'm going to have a lot of questions about that when we get to closer. Let's just quickly just discuss what I think are the best legitimate oneers fights, fight oneers in cinema history. And, and, you know, I may be wrong. I may may have missed one. But off the top of my head, obviously, Tony Jaa's The Protector. I mean, I think that's the greatest one because it goes on for so long. And it's, you know, all the way up those steps, uh, very difficult to do. He's so fit to have done that. I would have run out of steam before I'd got to the top. You could see how absolutely shattered he is. And I think, um, obviously, Old Boy, the original Old Boy, is amazing. And then there's the Daredevil one, but I'm not sure, is the Daredevil one, is that a legitimate one take or are there cuts in there? I think it's, and people can, if they're listening, they can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's legitimate one take, but it's not all the same stunt person playing Daredevil. I think because there's parts where it's filming in the hallway and he's going into yeah, rooms. It's Chris yeah, I mean, obviously it's a different, it's a stuntman in, instead of... Uh... The actor, of course. But I think there's actually more than one stuntman. I think they're like tagging out, I believe. But don't quote me on that, people listening. I could be wrong. But I do think... But that one is also... I mean, the first two you mentioned are just stunning. I think Daredevil was great. They they actually basically recreated it every season and every time. It was just awesome every time they did it. Uh, So I agree. What are your, your other two? Oh, no, that was it. Did I say five or three? Three. Protector, old boy, uh, daredevil. But one that goes, one that doesn't get enough respect um, is the old boy remake. Now, for whatever reason, they decided to cut a huge part out of it. But on YouTube, and you can, there's a link to it on my Artifaction interview with JJ Perry. On YouTube, there's the whole Wanna from the, the new old boy with Josh Brolin. And that is fantastic. Now, when I watched the, when I saw, I was showing the Wanna before I saw the film and I was completely blown away. JJ showed it me. But I think when I watched the film, it was so like different to the tone of the movie. It kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And maybe that's part of the reason why they cut it down. But if you just watch it on its own, just for that Wanna, that's an incredible Wanna. That is amazing. And what Josh Brolin did there, you've got to take your hat off to the guy. It was, it was brilliant. And that's that's JJ Perry there. So that that's people should check that one out. Yeah, and I, I've seen it. And uh, I've seen both the movie and I've seen the uncut version. And you're right. Because, I mean, Brolin's face is on camera pretty much the whole time. So that is Josh Brolin doing most of that, which, again, goes back to some conversations we've had before about actors who are maybe not martial artists, but are willing to put in the work 
say what you will about the old boy remake. And I think there's a lot of things that people could say about it, but there's no question Brolin and, and really in every movie he's done, Brolin puts in the work. I mean, the, the stunt work he puts in, in Deadpool too, like he's a guy that will put the work in. There's no question about that. Yeah. Tough as nails, apparently, according to JJ. That does not surprise me in the slightest. Um, all right, one last thing I kind of want to talk to you about uh, with Day of Reckoning. Well, I guess a couple of things. So, if I'm not mistaken, first time working with Dolph. Uh, yeah, that's right. Because you guys are going to do Legendary the next year, but this is your first time working with, with Dolph. Yeah. Um, obviously, building a working relationship, considering that you're you know in the midst of filming Castle Falls. Uh checking off another icon off the box uh how was that yeah great always been a fan of Dolph of course uh going back to Rocky Four, but I've always got on with Dolph he's a very easygoing guy and uh, I've always had a lot of time to he's just a fun fun guy and he's very funny and we have a laugh together and um yeah, so it's always been great working with him. And obviously I had that fight scene with him and it was very easygoing and, and you know, we, we got the job done and he did it all himself and he was happy for me to kill him and all the rest of it. Nice death scene. He loves a good death scene, Dolph, as do I. And yeah, it was uh, just a lot of fun. And here I am now talking to you out here uh, being directed by him filming Castle Falls. And it's, again, it's been a... A really great experience. I, I really enjoy the guy. He's a good bloke. The only thing I will say, if I have one slight criticism of, of, you know, of Day of Reckoning, is that as good as his death scene is, I don't think it's as good as his death scene in Regeneration. Because his death scene in Regeneration is an yeah. all-timer. Uh, that, that one is... Uh, wait, I thought of what I was going to... Bam! Head gets blown <laughs> off. I mean, it's just so good. Yeah, that's that's difficult one to, to beat, isn't it? Well, this is the thing about John Hyams. He is a brilliant director. He is in a different league. Um, he's an author, you know. He wrote that screenplay with uh, Magnuson, and you know, it's it's just a tour de force. And yeah, it's it's bold filmmaking, and it's not for everyone. And I absolutely adore the movie, and still to to this day, 10 years later, it's one of the very best films I've been fortunate enough to be in. Um, and I'm including everything I've been in. I think the fact that, and I'm sure other movies have done this, but when you're following the hero that you're following, when you get to the end of the movie and you realize that he's actually the villain set up by the government to take out the guy who is the villain, Van Damme's character throughout the whole film, you're thinking, why would he kill my family like that? What's going on? And then you get to the end and the twist is, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm just going to spoil it for you. You should have seen it by now. But the, the whole memory was an implant by the government and that actually Van Damme's character didn't do that. But it was the only way to give me the, the will to go and find him and take him out uh, was to implant that memory into me to make me into a, a, a killing machine that would never stop until... I took him out until I was dead, you know, and that's a great, that's a great twist. That is a great twist, man. 
And then when, even when I find out the truth that actually it's a memory implant and he, he wasn't responsible for it, that memory is so embedded in me and important to me and it's all I have. That's the only memory I, I have of family and I, I'm so willing to hold on to it that I end up killing him anyway and believing something that is a memory implant. I choose to believe it. And this is all very, you know, <laughs> dark but intelligent filmmaking and so many bold choices in that movie. Now, I understand it's not for everyone, but he's a fantastic director. And I urge people to watch his latest movie, Alone. It's a great film. He's a fantastic director. Yeah, Alone is uh, is a couple things I want to say on that. But first, Alone is going to absolutely end up on my 10 best of the year list at the end of the year. I thought that was just absolutely tremendous. That that was, he takes such a, for lack of a better term, such a standard horror movie plot and does so much with it that is just so good. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I share your praise of him. Uh, the other thing that I will say, because we don't worry about spoilers on this, I assume if people are listening to this podcast, they've seen the movies. Uh, I think Day of Reckoning really benefits from more than one watch, because like you said, when first of all, there's always the initial problem of Luke Devereaux is all of a sudden the villain that doesn't really become clear until you get to the end of it. But I also love the twist of you're not the first John either. Like you're not the first of you that they've sent after him. I think that is such a brilliant twist in that movie. Yeah. You know, still to this day, I'll see comments on Facebook where somebody just says, and it happens a lot. Why is Van Damme the bad guy? So what did you watch the movie? Hang on. Did you not watch the film? Were you not paying attention? Maybe you should put the spliff down. Watch it again and concentrate. I can't believe it. Well, and that's that's the that is the one it's not a problem. It's what I love, but that is the I guess I can't come up with a better word than problem. That is the problem with Day of Reckoning is it is a vastly smarter more clever, more creative, more interesting movie than the typical direct-to-video action movie. And then any other movie, I love Regeneration, but I still think John kicks it up a notch in Day of Reckoning. It's by far and away the best Universal Soldier movie. And so I think a lot of people aren't expecting a movie of that caliber and a movie that requires them to actually pay attention. They're just, you know, a lot of people that watch it are just like, yeah, man, I want to watch Scott Adkins kick some people in the face and day of reckoning. They're not ready to engage their brain. Are they? It's like, no, this film shit doesn't make sense. Well, cause you haven't switched your brain on pay attention, pay attention. It's a perfect film because when you can take, when you can make the action that good, but elevate the story and do something really interesting that maybe people haven't seen before. I mean, that, that's what you're always trying to do. That's what I'm always searching for. I want to give people what they expect to see, which is the action. But can I tell a compelling story as well? So it's perfect in that sense. I understand that it's a very dark movie and probably you feel like you need a cold shower after you've watched it. And I can understand that that's not for everyone. But to say you didn't understand it, I think you should pay more attention there. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I 100% agree because I, uh, you know, we talked about how Undisputed 3 was my favorite movie of years. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. This is, this is like nipping at its heels, man. And this one, every time I watch it, I feel like I get more out of it. Every time I watch it, I get something new out of it because it's such a, I think it's, we're going to talk about way down the road, one of your other movies that I also think is terrific, but I think this is maybe your richest movie, just as far as the one that really warrants extra viewings and putting down the phone, shutting off the computer and just sitting with it because there's so much going on in it and so many interesting things in it. Yeah, and not to compare it to an absolute classic, but it's kind of like, you know, Blade Runner is a movie that I obviously greatly admire, but it's not a film that I return to a lot because it's it's so dark, it's so moody, it kind of depresses you. And I know that Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning kind of has that feel to it. You know, when you finish watching it, you don't exactly have a skip in your step, but still you cannot deny what what a brilliant movie it is. So, you know, Undisputed 3 is the sort of thing you can put on and watch it again and again and again and just, you know, love all the, the lines and just the whole feel of it. It's entertainment. Universal Soldier is, is not that. It's darker, it's deeper, it's oppressive, but it's, it's still brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for anybody listening, if you have not seen Day of Reckoning, Man, you're you're missing out. Uh, it's one of the movies that I would almost... I, I don't like to make blanket statements like this because fans are fans and they can like whatever they like, but I feel like you are not a complete Scott Adkins fan if you haven't seen Day of Reckoning. Uh, I think it's essential viewing. Uh, I don't know what else I can say about it. I'm, again, much like I did with Undisputed 3, fanboying out a little bit, but I don't know what else I can say about this. I think it's an absolutely brilliant movie. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one that you should absolutely be very proud of. I mean, you don't need my validation, but uh, this is one that I think a lot of people would, a lot of actors would be very happy if they could make one movie as great as this one. Yes. And listen, a hell of a part to play and so much fun to try and delve into that and to figure out how to do it. Um, you know, 10 years ago now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I would have made some different choices if, if I could do it again. But, you know, to play this guy who's, you, th you think he's coming out of a coma, but he's actually a newborn baby, basically. He's, he's, not, not, he's not recovering from a coma. He's, he's learning how to walk for the first time. And these different layers of things that you can play with. And um, obviously meeting the clone and being able to play that version, uh, the clone, a different version of myself. All those things was, was really quite a challenge, um, but I really relished the opportunity and I did my very best. And yeah, very thankful that John gave me that opportunity. It was a tough decision for him because, you know, obviously wants uh, the best actor he can get, but then he needs someone that can convincingly pull off all that other stuff that, that needs to be convincingly pulled off, you know? Um, so I'm very happy he went with me. And I think we are all too. 
because there's another thing there's another thing as well and there's, there's something else that runs through my career like it's again i've done assassination games and now it's like, oh, you want to star in Universal Soldier? Oh, what, Van Damme's franchise? Well, and Dolph as well. Um, and so there's always that thing of, ah, oh, I don't want people to think I'm riding on the coattails of his, his success. But that's something that's happened to me a few times, you know, when we get to Hard Target 2, we'll talk about that. Um, but that's always a decision as well. Um, but it didn't take me that long to figure out that I had to do it. Well, and I think it's astute casting because if you are going to cast some dude opposite Van Damme and Dolph in these roles that they've inhabited for 20 years. Uh, it's gotta be somebody that the audience can not just be mad that it's like, it's gotta be somebody that they can say, Oh, I'm not mad that I'm going to spend most of the movie with this guy instead of with Van Damme. And obviously John, saw that in you because you were the perfect casting for that. You were, especially at yeah. this point in your tell, career. Tell it to the marketing people when they were figuring out who to put on the poster. <laughs> yeah, you are, you are, you are a little itty bittier on the poster, but, uh, there's but, some versions of that poster that I'm not even on, <laughs> but I get it. I get it. And it is Van Damme and Dolph's franchise. I, I was the new boy. I'm very happy to be there. But I, I really loved it because more than Assassination Games, more than The Shepherd, this really felt like a, this movie feels like a passing of the torch. It it feels like you are the heir apparent. And, and it's obvious to anybody who watches the movie. You know, if I, if I had a random person who I can't imagine exists, who's a big Van Damme fan, but has somehow never seen any of your movies. This is the one that I'm showing them because this is the one that really does feel like the heir apparent is here. The torch is being passed and welcome to your new favorite action star. Uh, and again, John realizing that and knowing how to, to, to use that and, and really, doing everything in his best to manage to make everybody involved in this movie look their absolute best. I mean, nobody in this movie should be sad or disappointed with what they put forward in it. Imagine what Van Damme was thinking, though. It's like, oh, yeah, The Shepherd. Oh, yeah, get that guy from Undisputed too. He'll be a good, uh, good bad guy, cool. And he's like, oh, Assassination Games. Oh, you want that kid, Scott? Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Oh, he's starring in Universal Soldier Four now, is he? Jesus Christ! Why doesn't this kid leave me alone? He must have been thinking that. And then he's got to deal with me in the Expendables. <laughs> yeah, but at least in the you know he gets he gets uh, and we'll talk about it when we get to Expendables. But you know he gets uh, there's no question in that movie who the big dog is in that one. Uh, unlike this one where there's a lot of you and a lot of him, there's kind of no question in the expendables who the big dog is. But, uh, well, let yeah. me ask you, um, anything before we move on, anything you want to add about day of reckoning? Well, just sticking with Van Damme, it's, and the passing of the torch, um, I'm not sure Van Damme would have seen it this way, but certainly it wasn't lost on me that the fact that I'm stepping into his franchise 
And we're talking about a kid that grew up on his movies and had pictures of him all over my bedroom, you know, completely idolizing the guy and, and coming to do Universal Soldier 4 and then being the guy that is about to, to kill Luke Devereaux. Um, it was kind of a moment, really. It, for me, it was, a, it was a big moment and it did feel like a passing of the torch. It did feel like, wow, you know, I've, I've been inspired by this guy and he's a huge part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and here I am in this position and I'm about to stick this machete in him and run him through and watch him die. <laughs> and it was a big thing for Van Damme to be killed on screen. It doesn't often happen. Um, and so it was, it was, you know, it was a bit of a thing to be the guy to kill him. Obviously Dolph killed him in the first one, but he came back and, uh, he's not really been killed any other times. I don't think, unless it was by himself in replicant, obviously expendables too, but that was later. So yeah, it was a bit of a thing. Yeah. I mean, even just the idea of Van Damme playing, you know, we talked about how he's not actually the villain of the movie, so I'm just going to call him the antagonist instead. The idea of Van Damme being the antagonist in a movie was almost unheard of at that point. You know, you mentioned yeah. Replicant. Obviously, he fights himself, which is a really underappreciated Van Damme movie. Um, yeah. But, you know, he fights himself in that and he gets to have some fun. But playing the the villain slash antagonist was not something he'd normally done, which I kind of post this post expendables to post uh, enemies closer. I kind of wish he had done more because damn, does he make a great villain in a movie? He is so energized when he's playing the villain in a movie uh, that he's just yeah. always fun to watch. Yeah, he's got a lot going on behind the eyes. And so when he takes it a little bit darker, um, some moody stuff. It's very apocalypse now, isn't it? Some of the stuff in, in Universal Soldier. He's like the Marlon Brando character in, in some ways. I was going to yeah. ask, did he like go full method? Because I feel almost feel like he, because he is so much like Marlon Brando in that movie. And he's so just heavy uh, and everything that, I, I, you know, because I've seen so many Van Damme movies, I've seen interviews, I know how light and energetic he is in real life. And, and that's one of the other things that I think John really brings out in him. John brought out both in Regeneration and Day of Reckoning some serious depth and torment and, and just brooding heavy nature. But it almost does feel like it's the kind of role where he wore that face paint like the entire time filming. I'm sure he didn't, but it's the kind of role where it feels like he wore that face paint the whole time filming. Yeah, he'd come in the morning and be like, Jean-Claude, you didn't take your makeup off? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, I think he had a lot of trust for John after the third film because um, obviously he was asking him to do something completely wild and, and out there for the fourth. But I think he, he earned his trust on the third one. He obviously watched the movie and saw that he was a really good director. Obviously he worked with his father before and has great respect for him because he worked for him a couple of times, didn't he? Um, so he was willing to go where John asked him to go, which was great. He trusted him. Yeah, I mean, just all around, just an Aces movie. I just absolutely 
top notch on every front. Uh, Thank you once again to Scott for taking time out of his schedule to chat with me. I hope he had as much fun talking about the movie as I did. I think it's pretty clear he's incredibly proud of it, and he should be. Everyone involved should be proud of this thing. This is a special movie. And with that, that's enough for me by myself. Let's bring on this week's champion, F This Movie's Patrick Bromley. So what are we waiting for? Bring me your fucking champion. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a reigning champion this week. Uh, he is, as I said the last time he was on, one of my very favorite people, one of my big inspirations for even getting into podcasting to begin with. Without his side F this movie, I would not be here. You would not be listening to us. And so I am very happy to welcome back Patrick Bromley. Patrick, how are you today? I am good. You are so nice. Thank you so much for having me back on. Oh, no, thank you for agreeing to come back on. Uh, you again were one of the very first people I thought of when I was putting this together. And this was absolutely the first movie that I thought of for you to come on and talk about, because it is one that I know you like as much as I do. And it is a movie that I think it's fair to say, not everybody likes to the same level that you. (laughs) No, I think that's fair. It's a hard movie to wrap your heart around at times. I think. Yeah, it is the, uh, you know, in the last episode, I was talking to uh, Rachel about the bad strobe effects in El Gringo, and and she hadn't seen this one, and I was explaining to her the strobe effects in this one, how they're so actually, like, physically painful, but unlike El Gringo, they're used for a purpose here. Uh, Right. But there's no question, they're physically painful. Like, this is at times a physically painful movie to watch. Yeah, I think that's, (laughs) I think that's fair to say. Um, so, uh, last time you were here, we did a bunch of introductions. Um, you know, you, you talked about if this movie, and obviously I'll give you a chance to plug stuff at the end. We also got into your history with Van Damme, your history with Adkins. So I don't want to rehash all that, but before we get started on talking about stuff, we are about six weeks out from one of my favorite days of the year. What is coming up in March for F this movie, Patrick? Oh, gosh, that is our annual F This Movie Fest. Uh, it is it was at one point the world's only all-Twitter film festival. I don't know that we can say that anymore because of lockdown. But uh, 10 years ago, this will be our 10th this year, we were looking for a way to celebrate our 100th episode. And so I came up with this idea of I wanted to get everybody together in one place in a, in a movie theater and have a day of movies. And I realized that would be very difficult because our listeners and everybody's kind of spread out across the country, in some cases around the world. And so I thought, well, what if we just put the whole thing online and just watched movies over Twitter? Now, live tweeting movies has become a very popular thing. Everybody does it every Friday night with Joe Bob. People schedule live tweets for movies. So it has become the norm. But 10 years ago, it was fairly novel, I would say. And so we pick, uh, it used to be five movies. Now it's six from a specific year. Uh, We haven't yet announced this year's theme or year uh, or it's lineup, but, uh, it's going to be a good one. I can promise you that. And then we watch six movies from that year and we tweet through them all day long. Yeah. And uh, this will be, 
my fourth or fifth time participating this year, and uh, it's it's absolutely a day that I look forward to every. I love it. It's it's just so much fun, and it's always so nice for everybody that's in the F this movie community to all sort of you know we've all got lives and we're all busy, and so it's nice that on that one day out of the year kind of everybody just coalesces around this this one event and we all chit chat and we all talk and I mean it was really F this movie fest where I met you know I really got to know you I got to know Risky I got to know Daniel Epler and Lindsay Wilkins and and just everybody pretty much everybody that I met through F this movie Robin they they all came because of the bonds that we all sort of forged during F this movie fest and so it's it's really for people listening if you like what I do, you know, join us. It is, uh, I do want to point out that it is about celebrating the movies that we watch, not trying to be detached, hipster, ironic, make right. fun of the movies we watch. It's about celebrating them. And, you know, you we don't have to like them all. There's certainly been ones we've watched I, I didn't like. I remember a couple of years ago, I think Robin and I kind of ruffled Adam's feathers a little bit because we weren't big fans of Ferris Bueller, but... I, I still think we weren't like ironically making fun of the movie. You know, we were still celebrating the good things in the movie. And that's what I love about F this movie fest is it's always about what's good about movies. Why do we love these movies that we're watching? Yeah, absolutely. And it's always my favorite thing is always picking a movie that maybe not everybody has seen. We don't go with super deep cuts usually because it's kind of about choosing crowd pleasers and and like you said, movies that everybody's going to enjoy watching together in this setting. And certain movies lend themselves better to kind of talking about them over Twitter. There's a certain kind of movie that plays very well, but every once in a while we'll pick. Last year, I think not a ton of people had seen Hard to Kill. And so it was super fun to watch everybody react to Hard to Kill for the first time. Yeah, especially when uh, it, when Seagal goes, that's from my wife, fuck you and die. Like watching everybody on, on Twitter that hadn't seen it just get so excited. Um, you know, and we kind of had a, a similar experience. It wasn't an F this movie fest. It was your birthday, but we did, you did the same thing for that. And you showed day of reckoning and it was a lot of fun watching people come to day. Cause I think that was the one out of all the ones we watched for your birthday that maybe the fewest people had seen. So that yeah. or nemesis, I can't, I'm not sure which had fewer, but <laughs> not a ton of people had seen nemesis either, but, uh, yeah, that's something I've been doing for my birthday because Erica, my wife is always looking for a way to celebrate and I'm not big on celebrating my own birthday, but many years ago I said, well, if we could just hang out and watch movies, I'd be okay with that. And so now for over a decade, that's how we celebrate my birthday is we have some friends come over and I always program some kind of under the radar or what used to be called underrated, what maybe is now called underappreciated movies, um, just movies that I really like that maybe not everybody has seen, that maybe not everybody loves. Uh, and last year we had just gone into lockdown and she convinced me to put it online again like we do for F this movie fest. So we picked, I picked six movies and the very last movie was universal soldier day of reckoning. Cause I wanted something that was just going to make people's fucking heads explode, uh, to close out the night. And it was a good choice because, uh, the reactions to both that and nemesis were a lot of fun. Well, and, and as the, uh, kind of Adkins guy, it was a lot of fun for me because I was able to then, a lot of people reached out to me wanting to know where to go 
with Adkins. Right. You know, you introduced Scott to a lot of people by doing that. Um, and, and that was, you know, just that was says somebody who's been a giant fan of his for years, obviously kind of, uh, you know, a little obsessed. I don't know. I guess I started a <laughs> podcast about, you know, that was so much fun for me. That was just so heartwarming to watch, especially, you know, we'll talk about the scenes in the movie down the road, but the famous one when he's doing all of that and everybody just being like, who is this guy? How, why have we never <laughs> seen this guy before? Um, the other thing I love about it is sometimes you just, you, you get a different sense for the movies. Um, this was also during your birthday, but I had long been on record as not being an Avatar fan and watching it for your birthday, man, I did a complete 180 on it. I just absolutely had so much fun watching that movie that time. And that was like the fourth time I'd seen it, but it was the time it finally clicked for me. And I think part of it was just watching it with everybody else who really enjoyed it and, and was having fun with it. It just, it, it changed my perception of the movie, uh, almost completely 180 degrees. Oh, well, that's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, it helps, I think, to sometimes watch a movie through other people's eyes and especially like we do with F this movie fest or like we were doing that day where we're, we're celebrating the things that we love. Um, I think had we all sat around and ripped the shit out of Avatar and just made fun of it, which to be fair is easy to do. Uh, you would have come away from it cementing all the things that you don't like and saying like, yeah, I was right to think that movie is not very good, but because it was a bunch of people being like, isn't this neat? Isn't this fun? Uh, I think it helps to kind of maybe alter your perception a little bit. Absolutely. And that's why on this show I try, you know, unfortunately one of the things about doing a Scott Adkins podcast is I ain't all of his movies been winners. Um, and, <laughs> but I always try and make sure I at least find, um, the things that are worth celebrating in them. You know, you said something years ago and, and you've said it a lot, but it, I, I first heard it from you years ago and it really resonated with me, which is that every movie could be somebody's favorite movie. Yeah. And so you kind of, you, you need to be careful when you just walk around and shit on movies because you never know. And you never know why a movie should be you know is could be somebody's favorite movie it might be one of the worst movies you've ever seen but maybe it pulled that person out of a depression or maybe it was their you know father's favorite movie or their sisters or something you know there may be some personal connection there and so i think you have to be careful when you walk around and just shit on movies it's something that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way and i'm not perfect lord knows you know i just tweeted about the little things last night which was a movie that was a, you know a big bunch of nothing um and i have a hard time imagining that could be somebody's favorite movie but i did have a friend uh, a very good friend of mine take some some umbrage with uh, uh some comments i made about rami malik and and you know and, and and he raised some very good points and he was right um that you know, what he, what he brought to my attention. And so it's like, you do have to be careful when you are, are shitting on stuff. So I, and I love F this movie and I love kind of your views on movies for that. Well, thank you. It's, you know, I think in the beginning it was easier to be snarky because that's, it's fun. You know, you sit around and you try to make each other laugh with jokes. And over the years, I think I've definitely evolved 
as a viewer, as somebody who talks about movies, in talking to more people, in gaining a lot of new perspectives, um, you learn that like it's way more fun to talk about the stuff that's really good, the stuff that's really cool, the stuff that's really fun. I have a general rule for myself on Twitter now. I don't tweet very much, but when I do, I ask myself, like, what would Barbara Crampton tweet? Because she never tweets a shitty thing ever. And so I generally just try to post stuff that's like pretty positive or like, hey, I really like this thing and not, you know, post um, when I do have a negative feeling and which happens all the time. I try to keep it to myself. Uh, you know, a good rule of thumb is like pick a movie that you think is terrible and go to Amazon and read the reviews and you will find plenty of five star reviews of people who genuine genuinely love that thing. And I don't want to be the person who tries to talk them out of it, you know, who tries to tell them that they're wrong for loving the thing. It's fine that I don't. And it's great that they do. It makes them happy. So why would I want to take that away from them? Yeah, I'd I'd always rather somebody like a movie, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. unless it's unless it's like overtly racist or horribly massaged, you know, unless it's like sure, a, sure, sure. a bad faith, bad intent movie. I would just always yeah. rather somebody like a movie why life's too short why waste two hours of your life watching stuff you don't like even if i don't right. like it that's fine uh you know there's that meme that's been going around the last week of keanu where he's talking about uh, it was in some interview for john wick 2 where he says you know i just i i try and stay out of discussion now if somebody's like one plus one equals five great you're right have fun you know and it, it's <laughs> such a great way of thinking about the world uh, for the most part, um, you know, not so much when we have actual Nazis back and stuff like that, right. but certainly, right. certainly in something as trivial as movies, that is a great way of, of thinking about the world. So, um, and it, it's fun when people open themselves up to the possibility of, you know, that's why I, I would pick something like nemesis to show as part of that birthday festival, because most people, a, aren't going to watch it. B aren't necessarily going to like it if they do, but suddenly they've opened themselves up to the possibility of, oh, someone really likes this. I wonder why. And that's the the lens through which they're watching that movie. And suddenly they discover how much awesomeness there is in that movie. Yeah, I mean, that's that one's a perfect example because you and I are both uh, avowed Albert Pune fans. Just, yes. just absolutely uh, avowed fans of him. And he's certainly a... A uh, director that is um, eccentric, to say the least. <laughs> uh, but if you if you can kind of yeah, if you watch a Pune movie through your eyes or my eyes, and and you can vibe on his style that we mm. like so much, and appreciate that in spite of the fact that all of his movies were made for a buck fifty, it's actually staggering <laughs> what he was able to accomplish in most of his movies, especially compared to a, a lot of his contemporaries at the time. Um, and then also just enjoy the fever dream nature of most of them. Uh, right. You know, that's, it's a lot of fun. And so I obviously being a Pune fan, you and I both know a lot of people really don't like him. And uh, I'm always like, okay, well, I'll just sit here and watch heat seeker and, uh, and enjoy <laughs> myself. So, you know, um, all right. Well, 
let's start getting into some of this. I know you've got a busy day. I have a feeling we'll probably be talking for a bit, but I don't want to keep you here any longer than necessary. Uh, before we get into the movie, I, you know, everybody knows, and, and in my intro, I, I, you know, anybody that's listened to my intro knows, uh, this is directed by the great, and I am absolutely saying the great John Hyams. I think he is the best DTV director currently working. Uh, I also know that you are a big fan of his father, uh, Peter Hyams, a very, very well-known and well-regarded uh, cinematographer and director. When did you first start getting into Peter Hyams as a director? I think it was one of those things where I just liked a bunch of his movies. Cause when you're a kid, I wasn't necessarily like real up on who made the things that I liked. I just knew what I liked. There were household name directors like Steven Spielberg. I knew, you know, when I was watching one of his movies or Alfred Hitchcock, I knew a Hitchcock movie, but everybody else was kind of just like, Hey, they made these movies and, uh, um, I would like stuff, but I wouldn't necessarily know who was responsible for it. And then it was, I don't know, probably the early, uh, the mid nineties, maybe when I started to realize like, Oh, this same guy is responsible for all these movies that I really like. Um, you know, this same guy, it was probably his, his back to back Van Damme movies that I became aware that like, Oh, okay. This one guy, made these two movies and they both star Van Damme and they're both awesome. Uh, oh, and he's also the guy who made running scared. One of my favorite movies. Oh, and he also made, you know, the remake of narrow margin. And he also made 2010, that really underrated sequel to 2001. And at the time I hadn't seen busting, but now I've since gone back and seen busting and I love busting with Elliot Gould and Robert Blake. Um, and then the, the relic comes out a couple of years later and I love the relic and I'm like, Oh, you can do horror movies too. This is awesome. Um, so I think I had always been a fan of Peter Hyams, but it wasn't probably until the nineties that I really started to like codify what that meant. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned running scared because that, that I think might've been kind of the, cause I'm, I'm not much older than you, but I'm a couple years older than you. And so by the time Running Scared came out, I, that I was starting to formulate the idea that there were, like you kind of said, that there's people behind the camera who, who make these things. And if you like those people, there's a good chance you might like their other stuff. Uh, but he also followed it up with one that I really liked, uh, which I think has kind of fallen by the wayside a bit too, which is the Presidio with Sean Connery and Mark Harmon, which is just yep. a really terrific little thriller, cop thriller. Wikipedia calls it a buddy action film. I'm not sure I would call it no. an action film. It ain't running scared, but um, right. but it's definitely kind of a terrific little thriller. And then, yeah, like you said, by the time he did uh, Time Cop, he had, he had come off of uh, Stay Tuned, which Jeffrey Jones' ooky presence notwithstanding... I don't know how well it would hold up. I haven't seen it in years because of Jeffrey Jones. But man, in 1992, that movie killed me. That, that Have you <laughs> ever seen that one, Patrick? Oh, sure. I just uh, showed it to my kids maybe a year ago and it held up surprisingly well. They were very much into it. Yeah, that movie, just John Ritter just slays in that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, and then you get the, the Van Damme, you know, one-two punch. Um so I know 
one of the common criticisms of Peter Hyams is uh, <laughs> too dark. Too dark. Now, <laughs> I I am I know that's a that's a criticism that you more or less uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you more or less disagree with. Is that would that be fair to say? I mean, I recognize that some of his cinematography is dark, particularly in something like The Relic, but it's not it's not a deal breaker for me. I think it's interesting that he started doing that because I, I feel like it it's kind of a period because if you look at some of his older movies, you know, certainly Running Scared is brightly lit and beautiful. Capricorn One is brightly lit and beautiful. I, the one for me, and I don't mind the relic, the two for me that I think it really gets a little out of control is... I think the criticism is absolutely fair for End of Days. Um, now, part of that is that's not one of my favorite Schwarzenegger movies by no, mine either by any stretch. <laughs> um, and then The Musketeer, which is a highly entertaining but very flawed movie. But then the other one where I think it's just out of control, but also it's just it's his one movie that I think is just an abject dumpster fire is A Sound of Thunder. Um, <laughs> You know, and that that really that movie really hurt his career. I mean, he that pretty much got him put in director jail because that one yeah. was so bloated. And I thought trying to find the optimism in it is a little tough because it's not a very good movie. <laughs> I saw it in the theater and I have not revisited it. I remember not being crazy about it, but I couldn't really speak to why because it's been years since I saw it. Well, as somebody who is absolutely uh, ride or die for Ed Burns, making Ed Burns an action hero and having it completely not work on me kind of tells you a lot about, <laughs> about the movie, I think, because I like Ed Burns in almost anything. I It's, I almost, it's almost impossible, and I don't think... I, I certainly don't think that it is in his like top 20 best performances. Let's just put it that way. Um, and the reason I bring up Peter is one, cause I know you love him. I wanted you to talk about him. Uh, but also we mentioned the last time you were on, he did come back and direct enemies closer, which is just an absolute ton of fun. Yeah. But he also does cinematography for both this and universal soldier regeneration for his son. So let's talk about John. When did John first pop up on your radar? Uh, Regeneration was the first, uh, was my first, because he had done a lot of TV and he had, I think, one feature prior to, he's got a, a feature and a documentary, I think, prior to Regeneration, but I hadn't seen either one. So I watched Regeneration just because, like, I had super low expectations for it. I'm not a fan of Universal Soldier, The Return. I like the original Universal Soldier, but I don't like The Return. I missed the two like sci-fi TV movies. Um, but I would think I was in Blockbuster and uh, blind bought like a previously viewed Blu-ray of Regeneration just because it had Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren in it. And I was home alone and I put it on and I was just knocked out by it. I thought it was it was at that time it was the best DTV action movie I had ever seen. I was like, this movie kicks fucking ass. Um, and it still didn't prepare me for what was going to come with Day of Reckoning. Um, but so I, I sought out Dragon Eyes as soon as that came out. Um, I missed like 
all of Z Nation. I, I, I really have only other the only other John Himes I've seen is Alone, which is just now streaming on Hulu that I recommend everybody check out because it's a really, really great thriller. Um, but Regeneration was the movie that kind of put him on the map for me. And uh, I do want a second alone. I will link it in the show notes, but a couple of weeks ago for people who haven't heard it, I was on uh, Marcelo Pico's Talk Film Society podcast talking about he's he's doing a uh, retrospective of 2020 movies. And uh, I had reached out and said, can I come on and talk about alone? And he was like, absolutely. So if you want to hear me go <laughs> absolutely bananas for alone for 45 minutes uh because i alone was in my top 10 of 2020 it it is uh just an absolutely spectacular movie uh so i i definitely do encourage and i uh, people to check that out but yeah i'm i'm similar so obviously he hadn't done a ton and uh peter hyams was kind of in director jail during this period so the hyams name wasn't a lot and I had seen, I had actually seen a trailer for Regeneration because I think Vern was talking about it on Ain't It Cool back when that was a website that I, people read. And uh, <laughs> and uh, when it came out, I, like you, I blind bought the Blu-ray. I pre-ordered it, blind bought it, and was just gobsmacked um, because I had never lost my... Uh, unlike a lot of people, and I know you are not one of those people, you you kept the flame going too. I had never lost my love of Van Damme, and in particular was really enjoying the work he had been doing around this period. You know, some of his, you know, obviously there's the great JCVD, but some of his other movies like Wake of Death and Until mm-hmm. Death and stuff, I, I, he was really doing interesting stuff. But I was still unprepared for his performance in this and it did take a minute to get used to it because it's such a different Luke Devereaux than what we're expecting. Um, and we'll talk about the original Universal Soldier in just a minute. And so I'm going to save kind of that. But I was also unprepared for just the brutality of the fight scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the straight MMA just ground and pound and pound and pound and fucking pound that, <laughs> that so many of the fights are in this in that movie. It 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 kind of just made me a fan of Hyams for life. And then Dragon Eyes, I think, is flawed, but I still think it's really well done. And then, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously we get to uh, we get to Day of Reckoning, um, which we'll get into in, in more depth in just a minute. Um, I kind of like some of Z Nation. It's sci-fi, so it's a little low budget. It's obviously not uh, not spectacular. He also did a movie. It's it's really hard to find. I'm not sure it's ever gotten a proper release. I saw it because a friend loaned me a screener. Um, in 2018, he did a movie called All Square. Have you ever seen All Square, Patrick? I just was reading about it and really wanted to see it because it sounds like kind of a modern day Bad News Bears, but I have not seen it. Yeah, and that, it kind of is what it is, but much like, um, much like the way Dragon Eyes is just sort of Yo Jimbo or Fistful of Dollars and Alone is a sort of standard survival thriller at their core. Hyams is he's so good at taking what appears to be just a standard movie and doing so much with it. You know, he's just got such a vision for how he wants his movies to be. And uh, so if you can if you can find it, um, it's well worth checking out. 
Yeah, I'll have to try to track it down. I'm not sure how, but I definitely want to see it. Um, and then, uh, so let's talk a little bit about the original. We can't talk about Day of Reckoning without talking a little bit about the Universal Soldier film series. You, you mentioned uh, you skipped the sci-fi that made-for-TV sequels. I did not. Um, so I'll talk about those <laughs> in a sec. But let's talk about the original. When did you first see the original Universal Soldier? Um, I remember renting it. I didn't see it theatrically back in 92, but I think I rented it as soon as it came out on video and, uh, and watched it there and, and really liked it. Um, I, I had a really good time with it. Uh, you know, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich were not names that were really on my radar at that point. Um, and I just revisited it. Adam and I did a, Adam Risky and I did a series last summer looking back at the movies of summer 92. And so I revisited it and I think it holds up really well. There's parts of it that feel like the pilot of a TV show now, but I don't even say that as a pejorative. Um, I, I really liked the Van Damme performance. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is a big ham sandwich, but he's having a really, really good time. I think the movie holds up really, really well. Yeah, I agree. He's uh Dolph is, Man, he's he's nothing if not committed. Um, <laughs> you know, and this is also one of the first. This and Death Warrant are kind of the sort of the first Van Damme movies where we start to see that he's not really interested in being Schwarzenegger or Seagal. You know, a, a friend of mine actually just commented. Uh, it was just we were talking just yesterday. And he said, one of his favorite things about Van Damme is Van Damme is not afraid to look like he's getting his ass kicked in a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's very much, a he, he's a much more human action hero than a lot mm-hmm. of his contemporaries were. Uh, and, and this is the first universal soldier is a, is a pretty great example of that. Cause he gets smacked around quite a bit in that movie. Um, but you've also got just some great character stuff. It's got it's got one of my favorite Van Damme lines. Just, <laughs> I know what it is. Well, there's 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 a couple. So there's obviously <laughs> I just want to eat. Um, <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, there's you're discharged, Sarge. Uh, but the one that actually always gets to me because of the way Emmerich shoots it and the the music and the way van damme delivers the line it's so sincere and it's so earnest that it just kills me every time which is right before he finally kicks the shit out of out of scott out of dolph uh dolph goes you're dead private and van damme goes no i'm alive and it's like it should be incredibly (laughs) cheesy and it is incredibly cheesy but there's such sincerity and earnestness in the way Van Damme says it that I just fucking love it every time I watch the movie, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's I, I think it's fair to say, folks, if you haven't seen Universal Soldier, uh, you should check it out. Um, it is not. Would you consider it essential to watch Day of Reckoning? Um, no, I don't think so. I think regeneration is probably more important in watching Day of Reckoning. Neither one is is really essential. Um, but if you did a triple feature of the original Universal Soldier and then regeneration and Day of Reckoning, you'd have a pretty fucking good afternoon. Hell yeah, you would. That would be a good time. Um, 
the made for TV movies are they're fine. Uh, Matt Battaglia is no Van Damme. They do have Burt Reynolds doing a thing. He's making some choices. <laughs> um, they're more interesting, I think, as sort of historical artifacts than they sure. are uh, anything worth checking out. I do want to spend a little bit, you mentioned you weren't a fan of it. I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about Universal Soldier The Return. Now, that was a day one, the theater, first showing of the day for me. Um, when did you first see that one? I think Cable. Um, I had tried to, because I used to go see five or six movies a day. And I think I tried to squeeze it in and couldn't make it work with the time. So I never saw it theatrically. I don't think I saw it till Cable. And it just was such a departure. I think at that point I was watching it more because I was like, well, what's Goldberg like in a movie? And I got my answer. And uh, it's been years since I saw it. So it's probably not even fair for me to criticize it. I just remember not being crazy about it as, as a sequel to a movie I really liked. It's definitely interesting because it doesn't feel, I, I almost feel like it's hindered by the fact that it's called Universal Soldier The Return. That if it had just been called like Super Soldiers or something like that, uh, because it is so different. You know, the one thing I will say about the, the made-for-TV movies is they do try and replicate the tone and feel. And they're also at least somewhat, canonical to the original movie you know it's same characters played by different actors but same characters you know luke's in it ali walker's characters in it uh andrew scott's in it you know and the return just feels like it doesn't even exist in other than van damme playing a character named luke Devereux. uh there there's nothing about it that feels like universal soldier uh, and yeah. he doesn't feel like the same luke Devereux that we that we knew, right? Like he's, he's just playing Van Damme basically. Um, I always had a soft spot for it because this was kind of one of the first movies he made after he started getting clean and you can really see it in the movie. He looks healthier than he had since basically time cop. Um, and so I've always had a, a soft spot for, for the movie for that. And I will say the last fight between him and Michael Jai White kind of makes the movie. Um, it's it's pretty terrific. And Michael Jai White is pretty terrific in it. So it might be worth revisiting. I don't know that you'd have like a do a 180. You're not it's not going to you know, you're not going to avatar it um, and, and do a 180. <laughs> but it might be worth it might be worth revisiting. And it's so readily available in so many like Van Damme multi packs that, you know, you can easily pick it up for next to nothing yeah i think i've got it on my shelf in one of those with like second in command and one other title you know all on the same blu-ray or something so i've got it here i just need to make the time to go back and watch it again which you have convinced me to do well then at least i've accomplished something um <laughs> yeah it's you know and it's like i said it's it's worth it again just to see you know because this is he made Legionnaire in between knockoff in this, but as much as I love knockoff and I do as a Van Damme fan, that's a really hard movie to watch because he looks so, you know, that was, I mean, that's the movie where he thought he was going to die. He woke up in a hotel room thinking he was having a heart attack because he'd been, you know, railing so much cocaine. 
Right. And uh, and he just he looks like it. He's sweaty. He's skinny. He just looks like a coke user in that, like a cokehead in that movie. And so it is nice when you see that one, and then you see the return to see how much healthier and borderline happier he looks in the movie. Um, for all I know, that could be not, you know, Van Damme's never been completely upfront about his addiction problems. He's always been upfront that he's had them, but he's, the timelines have been very shifty when he's told stories about, you know, when it started and when it didn't. Um, so for all I know, he might, but he doesn't look like he is, um, you know, disclaimer, I'm no addiction specialist. So. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, that takes us to 2012 universal soldier day of reckoning. When did you first see this one? The, the first day I could, um, I was such a fan of regeneration that, I think I waited up until midnight the day that this was going to drop on VOD and rented it at 12.01 and stayed up and watched it because I needed to have it in my eyeballs as soon as possible, and I was not disappointed. What a what a strange... I, I was the same. I got it as soon as I can, and what a strange way... And I don't mean this in a negative way, but what a strange way for this series to go, right? <laughs> like... Uh, we go from an Emmerich Devlin mega blockbuster to uh, 20 years later, a David Lynchian fever dream MMA Scott Adkins demo reel joint. Like <laughs> it's 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 something else. But I remember when I first saw it being like. Because at that point, I was also, at this point, I was also, I was all in on Adkins. I had seen Undisputed 3. I had seen Undisputed 2. I had seen Ninja. I had, I had gone back and seen Special Forces. So I was all in on Scott Adkins. And really kind of coming into it, hoping for more for Adkins, even though I loved Regeneration. And one of the things I love about this movie is every one of the big four actors scott van damme dolph and andre arlovsky all really get massive times to shine in this movie i mean hyams really does spread the wealth in this movie yeah for sure i mean it's uh, it is ultimately i think the scott adkins show just by nature of the part that he plays and what he's given to do in the movie but each one you know, Dolph gets kind of one big set piece that's a lot of fun. Van Damme gets the fight at the end. But Van Damme, you know, for Van Damme, it's almost more about acting than it is about a physical performance. And it's about sort of the presence that he carries throughout the movie, not just as this sort of Colonel Kurtzian version of Luke Devereaux, but just as Van Damme, the icon, Um waiting at the end of the river and then Orlovsky gets a lot of great stuff. I, yeah. Uh, I think you talk about it in your interview with Scott Adkins, but that the sporting goods fight is, is one of my favorite fight scenes ever put in a movie. Uh, it's just the best. It, it really is. And it, you know, and one of the things that I always kind of harp on in this show is that the best fights all tell a story, right? Like, 
Like, cause otherwise they're just demo reels and demo reels right, are awesome. Right. I love demo reels, but if there's not a narrative to a fight, it it's not as impactful. And that sporting goods store fight has such a great narrative because when it comes, first of all, Hyams is, you know, regeneration. He starts big because he just, he lets Arlovsky go right from the start of that movie. And then we get, we get all the special forces guys going in there to try and stop him and so we, even though we don't get Luke in regeneration coming until almost the very end of the movie, uh, we do get a lot of fights in that movie leading up to that. In Day of Reckoning, he really, really takes his time. I mean, we, you mm-hmm. know, that, that sporting goods store fight doesn't come until almost an hour into the movie. And yeah. it works because it helps us fill John's confusion and then the narrative of the fight is sort of the awakening of john right Right, you know he catches the bat he punches the ball and catches the bat and it's like all of a sudden it's like it's almost like neo right like i know kung fu you know like you can (laughs) and you can literally in the performances you can see it you can see it in adkins the way the switch flip yeah and and i I love that so much that that Hyams is so concerned about story that even in something that could just be a really cool demo reel, he takes the time to make sure we are seeing character development occur in this. Yeah, it's it's what part of what makes the movie special, I think, is the fact that each of the fight scenes carry with them a different weight and are telling a different story and how much attention is paid to sort of character and theme in this movie, this idea of what makes us human versus what makes us an automaton. uh, What is free will? I mean, all of these things are explored through the language of one of the most brutal action movies I've ever seen. And the fact that he's able to marry these two things together is such an achievement. And one of the reasons why I just love this movie to death. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It it is just to me, one of the pinnacle examples of what direct to video action it did not, I'm not even going to say direct-to-video action. What action can be yeah. in the right hands, in, in the hands of actual talent, of which there is a ton because, of course, you know, choreographies by the incredible Larnell Stovall. Like, top to bottom, this movie is stacked with maybe not the biggest names in the world, but absolutely talented people who are giving every... It, it's so clear to me... You know, and, and as you heard in the, my interview with Scott, it was clear to him that, that everybody in this movie was invested. I mean, he filmed this movie with a blown out knee. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like everybody was so invested in this movie that they were just willing to give everything they had. And I'm with you. I, I like that you use the word special because I do think this one is is absolutely special. Um well, let's talk a little bit about some of the other cast. You know, uh, first we'll we'll come back to the man a bit more. But you mentioned you mentioned Jean Claude and how it's about acting for him. I know one of the complaints that a lot of people have about this movie is the direction that 
the movie appears to take Luke Devereaux. What do you think about that complaint? I understand it if if you're particularly invested in the Luke Devereaux of the first and second film. Um, I think it's kind of a logical extension of regeneration. And you have to remember, you know, and, and I, I'm guessing people even who are making that complaint keep in mind that much of what we see of Luke Devereaux can't be trusted in terms of whose point of view we're talking about. Um, but by the end, we know that we're seeing the objective, real Luke Devereaux. And I, I can understand people maybe not being crazy about the direction that they've taken this action hero. I find it fascinating. I think it's such a ballsy choice and so interesting. And as somebody who loves sad bastard Van Damme, I love this performance that he gives and how weird it is and how somber it is. Um, so I'm, I'm fully on board because again, we've been given a replacement hero in Scott Adkins. So it's not like we're left without a ballast at all. Um, if this was Luke Devereaux and we went through all of universal soldier, you know, uh, with this Luke Devereaux, that might be kind of weird, but this is a very different movie and a very different take on the character. And I'm there for it. Yeah. You know, every time I watch this movie, I, I more and more think that it's actually not even that weird of a change from the, fr- it, it, the movies ignore the return. So I throw that out as well, even though I enjoy that movie, but I don't think it's very much of a stretch to take the Luke Devereaux at the end of the first universal soldier and imagine that he has significant PTSD and shit from everything that's happened to him. And that kind of is the Luke Devereaux that we meet at regeneration. And so it's not to me, it's actually a fairly, it's a bold choice, but it's a logical choice. I think, I think, I think it, it, it easily goes from one to the other. And I also love that Scott points out, you know, a lot of people keep saying that Luke is the villain in this and he's the antagonist, but there's really nothing in the movie that says he's the villain if you pay attention to the movie because right. all of the bad things that he does in the movie are John's unreliable memories that have been implanted right. in him. They're fabrications. Yeah, and so it makes it even easier to realize that, oh no, this this Luke, it's, to me it's very easy to see that because even in the first one, the government is not portrayed as good, right? The people that created the Unisol program are not good people. And so it's very easy for me to see that over the years, Luke has shifted to realize that they are bad people and what he needs to do is essentially lead a rebellion. I don't think that actually makes him the villain. He's definitely the antagonist, but I think people who think they've made Luke Devereaux a bad guy are not watching the movies closely enough. And I think that's because they're not, (laughs) they're not giving John Hyams the credit that he deserves for what he's done with regeneration and, and day of reckoning, uh, for how much smarter these movies are than they have any right to be. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. And, and day of reckoning is a movie that benefits from repeat viewings. Um, which, you know, isn't necessarily true of a lot of action movies of its ilk, 
they you could be enjoy them on repeat viewings because it's like watching musical numbers again and again where you're just like oh this action is so great but in terms of this benefits in terms of me understanding the story in terms of me pulling more out of it thematically most action movies are pretty straightforward uh and this one is not and so it actually helps once you know the end game to go back and watch it a second or if you're me and you a third fourth fifth sixth seventh or eighth time um because you do kind of understand better what's going on and you're absolutely right in terms of luke devereux not being a villain any more than you know dolph lundgren is a villain um, or any of those guys are a villain. They're merely soldiers in a rebellion against something that we can kind of all agree is inhuman and awful. But we're not presented with that. We're presented with Scott Adkins believing he has to kill the people who murdered his family, even though that didn't really happen, right? So the movie presents us with one reality and then asks us to understand, no, there's a separate reality that you are not being shown on screen. And it is a little bit hard, I think, to maybe come to terms with that. And if you're somebody who just wants to watch this movie as kind of an escapist, cool action movie, there are elements of that, but you're not getting everything that the movie has to offer. Yeah, exactly. It's... Every time I watch this one, I get something more out of it and and formulate different theories and thoughts. And it does require and, and that's, you know, you are right in that that is not what most people picking up a movie called Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning are going to want to do when they're watching the movie. And on top of that, I think it is hard to get a lot out of it the first time because the movie is such a sensory overload there is just so much not just the strobe effects but the way it's cut and the the camera angles that that hyams uses and the music and and everything it's 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 a lot the movie is a lot to take in the first time and so i think it is easy to just superficially view it that Luke is the villain and it's just setting up a showdown between him and John and John kills him and John wins and you know but then we get the end and it's really that end scene where you sort of realize that Luke is actually the good guy I guess and John was the villain but Mm -hmm. by engaging in this battle john has finally fully awakened you know because he kills uh russ blackwell who is fantastic in banshee just throwing that out there kills russ <laughs> blackwell's character and you know replaces him with a clone and and essentially is taking over the fight and so it is this weird the movie makes you feel like it's a depressing as shit ending but the reality is it's kind of not it's actually kind of a optimistic good ending in a way but that's how the movie works on you it works on so many different levels that it takes a few times i think to finally pull all those threads out well it's it's interesting because i feel like you know during that fight with luke john kind of makes the conscious sort of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind choice to hold on to a memory he knows to be fake 
that this is painful, but I would rather have this. Um, and so for, for him to then make the switch and to be sort of the new leader of the rebellion doesn't completely jive with me. Um, even though I love it as an ending and, and love what it sets up and wish that we got a follow-up from John Hyams where, you know, Scott Adkins is the new Luke Devereaux and has a new army of universal soldiers leading a rebellion. I I'm all on board. They can make as many of these as they want. Um, but I like that choice so much that he chooses to hold on to the painful memory that he knows to be false. I wonder how you feel about that. I I love it because, of course, that is also what leads us into, you know, him deciding to hold on to that is the other big action scene, right? Because that's they're giving him the lobotomy and he he fights back because he wants to hold on to the memories. And that leads us into that just unbelievable oneer. <laughs> I mean, Hyams did a oneer in Regeneration as well that was amazing, but he upped his game for this one. Um, but I, I, I like it because I think it's messy. My sort of take on it after having watched this movie several times and gone back and forth and back and forth on what I think about it is that he, he wants to hold on to the memory for him but and maybe this is just me trying to put the most optimistic shine on it possible. He wants to hold on to the memory for him, but he doesn't ever want another Unisol to fill that pain. So he's going to hold on to his pain, but he's going to lead the rebellion so that nobody else has to fill that pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll take that. Um, you know, and there's obviously there's a lot of fridge logic in there. I mean, the movie's not interested in making any of that clear. That is, a, uh, but I think it's an interpretation that, that is there in the text. If you want to see it, it's obviously mm -hmm. open for interpretation, but, and I kind of took it as he had to kill. Well, he doesn't even really, does he kill Luke or does Luke give up? Because well, Luke, Luke does appear to kind of give up knowing that like, strike me down and you shall become me. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of that emperor Palpatine logic. Yeah. And, and it's almost sort of like in a lot of ways, so much of this movie feels like it's about Luke getting John to this point. Yeah. That, that, you know, because Luke, I mean, even the way Van Damme plays him, Luke is old in this. He's not, He's not the spring chicken that the other units, and he just looks tired. And part of that's just Van Damme always looks tired, but, <laughs> but it's kind of almost like it is. I need to get, this is the guy, this is the one because we already, we also get that flashback or, or that we get the second John that he'd already turned, but then who, you know, leaves because he falls in love, which sets the whole plot. We haven't even talked about Maria Bonner's character yet. Um, but there is just to me a sense of this is so much about Luke trying to get John to this point to become the John that he is. Um, I don't know. Like I said, this is what, but again, the fact that we're having this conversation is what's so fucking great about this movie because I, absolutely we didn't have this about the shepherd. Like, <laughs> right. like, you know, this is what's so great about this movie. Um, Let's talk about Mariah Bonner for a second as Sarah. She's she's the major, the other major lead in this movie. 
She is an actress who actually hadn't done very much. What do you think of her performance in this? I think she's fine. I think she's filling a, a, a function more than anything else, but I think she does it very well. Um, I think, you know, the idea of the, the previous John having fallen in love with her, I, it's all interesting. I think the movie, I don't know that the movie ever totally lands that stuff. It more kind of talks around it, which is fine because the movie does a good job of talking around a lot of things. And so you can kind of pull out your own stuff, which maybe is by design. Um, I don't think it's the best stuff in the movie in terms of, you know, the, the previous John's relationship with her and where that goes. Although the showdown with two Scott Adkins is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think she's, I think she does a good job. Yeah. I, I like what you said about she's filling a function. Um, it, if I have, and we'll talk about some low points, but if I have a low point about this movie, it, it's twofold and it's wrapped up in her character. One, it's that she is not given a ton to do. Um, and there is a bit of a trend. Uh, I'm going to be talking about this in a couple of episodes uh, with my friend Wendy, who's coming on. Uh, there's a bit of a trend of like dead women in Adkins movies. That's a, it's a little, it's a little tiring. Um, and you know, while she's not, you know, I mean, it starts with him having a dead wife who doesn't exist and, and kind of the way she's treated in this is, is not, uh, great. Um, but I think for the function, she does a good enough job, but I think you're right. There are a lot of ideas in this that are half-baked and and maybe that's part of the reason that it's so much fun to talk about is, is the good and the bad is some half-baked ideas, but there are some that I think are intentionally, um, obtuse, uh, you know, opaque, like why does Luke give up? Why does John make the decisions he does? Those are intentional. And there's others that I feel like just aren't quite fully cooked. Yes. And and the old John and his relationship with Sarah and the new John's relationship with Sarah, those aren't, I don't think those are fully cooked. Well, in old John and Sarah, like that's all handled in the span of a single scene, basically. You know, they there's not much they could do to develop that. Um, and new John's relationship with Sarah is kind of just, he drags her around while he, you know, fucks shit up. And, uh, I agree that like some of it is undercooked by or not undercooked, but obtuse by design. And some of it is just not really fleshed out. And all the stuff with Sarah, I think, falls into the camp of not fully fleshed out. I don't even know if this is a worse movie without her presence. And I don't mean to suggest, that, again, that the actor doesn't do a good job or uh, that she shouldn't have been in the movie. But can you tell the same story without her? if you change old John's motivations, yeah, you basically can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's definitely a part that feels a bit like, well, the only other women in the movie are all prostitutes at the start of the movie. Oh yeah. Right. And so there is a part that feels like, well, we need to at least have a, a, you know, a woman in this movie. And, and I will say that, Certainly in Regeneration and Day of Reckoning, um, I would not have considered John Hyams to be a particularly uh, astute director when it comes to women in his movies. Uh, That being said, again, 
alone really undercut that. Like, like, and, and I, I started to realize that, oh no, this is just maybe the movies he was telling, or maybe he's just grown as a director and as a writer, because certainly Jules Wilcox in alone is a fully fleshed out, interesting character. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think that regeneration or this one have, uh, female characters of that of that caliber, and and you're right, it's not Mariah Bonner's fault. Um, she's just not given a ton to work with in this movie. Right. She's she's a plot device essentially, which I I do think is a negative to the movie. Um, and I think you're right. You probably could tell the same story without her. Um, but it would be ookier if you also if you don't get rid of the prostitutes at the start too. Then it would be a real ooky movie. I think. Um, yeah. All right. Next up. Our boy, he must break us. The giant ham, the man who's never not had a great time in a movie, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, what do you think of Dolph in this one? Dolph rules in this movie. Uh, he really only has like a couple of big scenes, um, but they are all pretty incredible. Um, his fight with Scott Adkins at the end is a blast. His his death scene is almost as good as his death scene in regeneration. I, I would give the advantage to regeneration with the pipe through the head, but the knife through the head is uh, a, a decent follow-up. Um, no, he's awesome. And I love that John Himes really plays up his size. Just what a giant Frankenstein's monster he is. Yeah. And he looks, I mean, he looks good in it. You know, he's, he's in his, uh, late fifties, early sixties when he's filming this and he still looks like a giant. He still looks like Dolph Lundgren. I am yeah. going to, I am going to concur with you. I think his death. And the other thing that really makes his death and regeneration great is spoilers for regeneration folks. I'm assuming you've seen it. If you're listening to this is during their whole fight, his and Van Damme's fight. He keeps saying, there's something I wanted to tell you, but I can't remember yeah. what. And then he gets the hype, and then he's like, <laughs> I remembered what I was going to tell you, and Van Damme blows his head up. Like, it, it, <laughs> so well done. Um, almost weirdly humorous in a movie that is completely devoid of humor. Uh, yeah, yeah but, that's for sure. But he kind of does the same thing in this. You know, he's 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 so over the top and so hammy that he provides, I think, some much-needed relief uh, throughout the whole movie, because every time Dolph shows up, you sort of feel like, at least for me, you can breathe for a second. Like it's Dolph. He's going to do some hammy shit and I can take it. I can take a second because every second of this movie is oppressive in, in the best (laughs) way, but it is oppressive. Um, so yeah, I, I think he rules. I, I mean, he always rules, <laughs> but he does. Yeah. And again, I, I just appreciate that he's even in the movie because again, he doesn't necessarily need to be, this could have been any other Unisol, right? And we would have just been like, okay, here's another Unisol that he has to fight. But the fact that it's Dolph Lundgren, the fact that there is this connective tissue from the first movie to regeneration to day of reckoning um, the fact that he gives it that kind of star power and that kind of gravitas um, makes it such a better movie that people were invested in telling another Universal Soldier story in terms of extending the world of this movie and bringing it to uh, you know a new level um, means means a lot to me as an audience member. 
because it doesn't it didn't have to be Dolph Lundgren, but the fact that it is makes it infinitely better. Well, and it also again headcanon stuff, but it also is poignant because it's like clearly Scott is the first that Luke turned. Right. And, and, you know, he clearly had to re somehow reclone Scott. Um, and I don't want to say clearly because it's my headcanon. The movie doesn't say this, but it's like, of course, Andrew Scott's the first person Luke turns. You know, they 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 clearly have a discussion of how many times have we killed each other? Right. Let's. Let's you and I stop killing each other and deal with the people who want us to kill one another. And so I, I feel like there is, again, kind of like you said, the movie's fine if they cast somebody else in it. You know, if you put, uh, as horrible as he is, he's the first name that popped up, Andrew Brynarski in it or somebody like that, right? <laughs> like, All right. I mean, I would hate this movie a, a bunch more, but, you know, I'm just thinking of big dudes that you could put in it or fucking yeah, Goldberg. Yeah. You could put Goldberg back in it, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but... There's such a thematic poignance to the idea that Luke is leading this rebellion and Scott is his lieutenant, his right-hand man, um, that makes it so much more interesting to me. Uh, and again, is just one of those ways that this is more than the average direct-to-video action movie. Completely agree. All right, last big, last big uh, actor we got, and he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot to do, but look like a monster. Uh, Andre Arlovsky, man, I need him to be in more movies. <laughs> I only know him from Regeneration because I was not a, a UFC or MMA guy or whatever it was that he made a name for himself. So I knew him from regeneration and i showed it to some friends and they immediately knew who he was because they followed the sport and so they were like oh yeah no that guy's a huge deal that's that's awesome that he's in this movie um he's terrifying i mean he is he just seems like a guy and and it turns out that this is actually kind of true based on what scott atkins said in your interview with him but like he seems like a guy who's out of control, like he's not pulling his punches at all. He's going to rip your head off if you give him an opportunity to. Uh, and it makes his fight scenes so effective. Um, he's a scary, scary dude. Absolutely. But also very um, charismatic in a, in a weird, you know, because there's a lot of MMA fighters that, can look like scary, scary dudes. And a lot of them actually are scary, scary dudes in real life. <laughs> um, yeah, but they're not necessarily always cinematic. Right. And, and he is so cinematic in both regeneration and this one. I actually think he's, he's more interesting in regeneration. I almost get the sense in this one that he wasn't necessarily even supposed to be in it initially. And then they kind of, put him in it because he was so good. Um, but he's the camera loves him like as a monster, yeah. the camera just loves him and it does work because it's so credible. Then when Luke in regeneration or John in this one, when they finally get the upper hand and are able to fight back and, and ultimately, you know, kill him, uh, it feels like 
a real fucking victory. You know, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a a Seagal esque formality. Like it feels right, like an right. actual goddamn victory. Um, and I I think that's that's so great. I, I I don't know why he's not in more. I would have thought after this one, you know, movies would have been lining up to get him as heavies and and villains and monsters and and stuff like that. Like imagine him like. And I don't know, maybe he would have no interest in doing it, but imagine him in makeup as like a, you know, a monster in like a slasher or a new Predator movie or something like that. Like, he'd just be friggin' terrifying. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I can see Hollywood co-opting him into just a series of kind of generic henchman roles. And one of the things that I like about what John Hyams does is that he he has Orlovsky's fighting style match the pitch of the movie. So the he needs a movie that's as brutal as he is, you know, and John Himes is one of the few directors I can think of right now that's making movies that are this fucking brutal. Um, I wouldn't want to see him neutered as, you know, the henchman to Richard Gere as a bad guy or something like uh, it just doesn't interest me. So I like, I like that they brought him back for this movie. I like, again, that there's that connective tissue to regeneration, to this idea of we get to see each of these guys who were essentially slaves liberated and turned into soldiers for the rebellion. Um, even if it they present as villains in this movie, we know that they're not. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he needs... He needs a director like John Hyams that knows how to use him, I think, um, to really be effective in a movie. I, I say that having not seen him in any movies not directed by John Hyams. So I could not know what the fuck I'm talking about. And maybe he'd be great in a whole slew of Fast and Furious sequels. I have no idea. That is that is true. He hasn't done a lot. You know, he has a bit part in uh, Equalizer 2, but he hasn't he hasn't really done much. As you were saying that, that he needs a director that can do that kind of brutality, I immediately went to another one of our boys. Him and Jesse V. Johnson would be oh, yeah. a great, you know, you throw him in, an, in a movie that has the brutality of like Avengement, and I mm -hmm. think he would be just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, totally agree with that. All right. Um, well, we've been going on a little bit over an hour, so I'm going to start winding us down here. I mean, I could honestly, Patrick, I could talk to you about this movie for like five hours. I love this movie so <laughs> this much. This movie rules. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it, it's one of the ones, you know, people that have listened know this is one of the ones I was really looking forward to. It's one of the ones like Undisputed 3 where Scott and I talked for 45 fucking minutes about it because I love it so much. Um, and he's obviously very proud of it as well, which is always nice. Um, because I've certainly had conversations with him about movies that he's not as proud of. Uh, so, um, but let's talk any other, we've talked about some, some high points, uh, but any other like high points that you really want to call out or highlight or things that really, really matter to you in this movie. I mean, really just the way that John Hyams is fucking around with the language of the action movie and turning it into, you know, you were, you used the word, uh, Lynchian, um, 
Gaspar Noé comes to mind every time I watch this movie in terms of like what he does with movies. Um, not just the strobing effects, not just the way that the camera changes the sound design, uh, it changes perspective, you know, where it goes from first person to third person and back to first person. Um, the sound design is incredible. I, I know that you have seen this, so I know the answer to this question, but I have never seen this in 3d. How does this play in 3d? It's, um, it's, it's, it's rough. (laughs) It's, it's, (laughs) I don't love it, uh, in 3d. I mean, it's definitely a sensory experience. Uh, it would not be my optimal way of watching it. I think that it actually does limit, um, some of the fight scenes, particularly in the end, because, you know, anybody that, that watches 3d knows that, um, 3D is always darker. It's a it's an occupational hazard of the glasses. And so the end when they're in all those caverns during the Wonner and the fight with Scott and the fight with Luke, it's really dark. Uh so I yeah. don't I don't think 3D's the optimal. It's a it's an interesting curiosity to watch it in 3D, but it's not Avatar. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um if you really want to be jacked up and feel like you are on some bad drugs, then it's worth it's worth watching it that way uh just just to get the experience but uh, i certainly would not ever recommend somebody watch it in 3d the first time they're seeing it um others might disagree but uh that's that's kind of my take on it yeah i was surprised to even learn you know back when it came out that there was a 3d version i know it got a small theatrical release and i know it did play in 3d in some cities but it didn't seem like a movie that was particularly well suited to 3d and uh before you i had never known anybody that had seen it that way yeah it uh you know and i only saw it i i had it was not the first way i saw it because the um uh i can't remember which version of mine is i think it's my uk import that's the 3d version i can't remember which version i watched uh but um it was not something that i thought was um you know it was kind of right in that era when almost everything was getting turned into 3d whether it was right for it or not yeah right um and and this is one that i i just don't think it's it's right for it i i would honestly rather see the original one uh post converted to 3d i think that would play with roland emmerich's sort of wide screen style of shooting things i think the original one would actually play better in in 3d that might actually be pretty cool in 3d um this one's skippable okay it was i'm not i'm not i'm not much of a 3d fan to begin with even when the 3d has done well i'm not a big 3d guy so a movie that's not really supposed to be in 3d has no appeal to me well and in fairness what's interesting is it actually was filmed it's not a post convert it was filmed in 3d but that doesn't necessarily mean that it you know that doesn't necessarily mean that it should have been in 3D. Um, or that John Himes was particularly interested in the 3D, from what I understand. Yeah, I, I can't. There's nothing about his directing style that says this is a guy that wants to shoot in 3D, right? right? Like nothing he's done uh, indicates that. It's it's not his style. Way too much. He likes stuff like he doesn't do shaky cam very much, but he does do a lot of handheld. And I don't think handheld works particularly well in 3D most of the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, anything else? Uh, any other high points that you want to bring up? This whole movie is a high point, man. 
<laughs> it is. It is. I uh, I mentioned it, but I have I got to spend a little more time. Um, that fucking oneer, and it's not a true oneer, you know. And I, <laughs> no, I did ask. You could see where the cuts are. I, I know, but I had to ask Scott just to make sure, um, you know. And he's like, "Of course not." Are you kidding me? Um, well, but, but his answer was really interesting that, and I had never really thought about that. A lot of it comes down to the makeup effects that you can't properly. Uh, rig people for squibs and stuff to have it go off the right way. And that John Himes wants to shoot, you know, practical effects. Um, that didn't occur to me. I just thought it was, you know, about the choreography or whatever. It didn't occur to me that it had a lot to do with squibs and, and blood and stuff like that. Yeah. But it totally, as soon as he told me that it's like, Oh, well, duh. That, I mean, it was one of those yeah, things that had never occurred that. to me, but it's like, it totally makes sense because yeah. you know, and if you screw it up, you don't want to have to go. Yeah. Um, but regardless, it is such a spectacularly done one and the, the ways in which, uh, Hyams is able to shoot Scott moving effortlessly, uh, through these caverns and taking out all these, you know, unisols and doing his, you know, his patented Adkins flips and all the, you know, human special effect, like the way they're able to work him doing his human special effect shit into this oneer is just amazing to me. It is, I love the sporting goods store fight, but the first time I watched it, that oneer was the one that I was like, all right, I am all in on this movie until the day I die. <laughs> like I will, I will never not, champion this movie to anybody that is willing to listen to me um yeah and uh and uh you know we mentioned him but uh just damn van damme's good in this man <laughs> like he's uh just you and i are both you know we've talked before sad bastard van damme is just such a delight he's just such a wonderful wonderful actor and his face can do so much acting for him now that it's just unreal and his willingness to, again, fuck with his own iconography and say, like, sure, I'll shave my head, I'll paint half of it white and half of it black, and I'll be the quote-unquote villain of your movie um, in this bizarre take on Heart of Darkness. Um, I just, you know, he, he's just running up against everything we've come to expect from the guy who was in double impact, you know, I just love that he's willing to take chances like this. Well, and it's, it's, it's so interesting that, um, even a friend of mine, uh, a big listener, uh, of the show, uh, he runs the Woo Vember Twitter account, uh, Larry, big John Woo guy he's doing this year. He is doing a chronological John, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme rewatch and, category you know and reviewing everything on letterboxd and it's been interesting following along with him because you know so many things that uh i always thought of van damme kind of reviewing some of the movies through his eyes it's like van damme was laying the seeds for some of this stuff as early as movies like death warrant you know i was thinking about death warrant and how that comes out right around kickboxer and Bloodsport and Lionheart and how different, you know, and obviously cyborg is a whole different beast altogether, but just how different his performance in death warrant really is. It's there was always an actor in Van Damme. It just took a while for people to figure that out, I think. Yeah. And it also took him, uh, 
not being an egotistical prick because certainly <laughs> right certainly he let his fame go to his head i mean the you know for listeners if you've never read the uh polygon oral history of the filming of street fighter <laughs> wow that is uh that's that's a journey <laughs> that article is oh, a journey oh my gosh <laughs> It's something else. And, and, you know, for fans like us, we've been paying attention. So we know that he's been doing interesting stuff throughout the 2000s. But if you're just somebody who saw Universal Soldier and then checked out Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, your head would explode on base, you know, where Van Damme is at now in this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, you got to love because I could absolutely see. I mean, I, I feel like I've bagged on him a lot this episode, but I'm I'm okay with that in spite of the fact that I still like some of his movies. Ain't no fucking way Steven Seagal's doing this role. You know what I mean? There is no way. Absolutely. Yeah. No way he would do anything that would put him in the kind of position that this movie puts Van Damme in as the ostensible villain. And like you said, with the bald head and the white and black face paint and making these weird rambling. I mean, Seagal might make the weird rambling philosophical statements, but he's certainly not going <laughs> to shave. For sure. He's certainly not going to shave his head and, uh, and stuff like that. So, um, well, Seagal doesn't need to shave his head. He's already bald. Oh, <laughs> you burnt Steven Seagal. <laughs> so I watched, yeah, but, uh, so I watched, uh, this is a bit of a sidetrack and <laughs> I apologize, but I watched Tenet finally and i'm not going to get into what i thought of tenet but there's a scene where where john david washington is shooting a gun and the scientist is explaining to him how it works and all i could think of was an old episode of steven seagal lawman that that reality show where he was the sheriff in in new orleans right and he's doing firearms training for a guy and he's trying to tell the guy you don't shoot the bullet you push the bullet and he's like pushing the gun forward. I'm like, dude, are you in fucking wanted? Like what you're, you're not James McAvoy <laughs> motherfucker. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, Zen firearms push the bullet. Um, all right. Uh, last, last big thing is we've talked around him a lot. Obviously we've talked about him a lot, but give me uh, where this ranks in a uh, Scott Adkins performance for you it, top tier middle tier where do you rank it as far as his performances go um top tier you know i i like the thing that's always drawn me to scott adkins besides his athleticism is his acting ability because it's not something we get out of every action star and we've already talked about how we get that from van damme and certainly you know guys like stallone and and schwarzenegger have movie star charisma um but adkins has an ability to act that I don't see in a lot of, again, action stars, particularly those who work kind of in the DTV arena. Um, so I think he gives a really good performance in this movie. This is my favorite movie he's ever been in. So I think that helps that just it's, you know, the rising tide by the by virtue of the fact that I love the movie so much. It's it's probably my favorite Scott Adkins, even though I think there are other vehicles that allow him to shine even more greatly. Um, this is my favorite movie that he's in. Yeah, this is, this is number two for me. Uh, you know, it's pretty, I've been completely upfront that undisputed three is and always will be my favorite. 
Uh, but this is this is firmly ensconced in number two, and I can't imagine, unless he teams up with John Hyams again, I can't imagine anything unseating it as number two. I do think it's a top-tier performance, but I don't think it's his best performance. I, I still think that he manages to get more out of Boyka, and I certainly think um, Avengement is a... I mean, Avengement... <laughs> what he's doing in Avengement and what he's doing in the Debt Collector movies, I think, is uh, far more kind of interesting than what he's doing here. That being said, he's not actually asked to do a ton here either. He's kind of a cipher for most of the movie by design, right? By design, we're not supposed to know a lot about John. That's kind of the whole point of the movie. Um, but I think he convincingly sells the agony and the pain that he feels and the anger when he finally, you know, goes into vengeance mode. Um, I certainly think it's it's top tier. It's it's top shelf Adkins performance. Um, but it's this is one of the few Adkins movies that I think I can comfortably say is terrific uh, in addition to him. And that there are a hundred reasons to watch this movie that aren't just Scott Adkins. Yeah, that's what's so incredible about it is that it's not it's not a it's not a in my head. I don't imagine it as a Scott Adkins vehicle, even the way something like Avengement is a Scott Adkins vehicle or Ninja, uh, you know, or Ninja 2. Those are Scott Adkins vehicles. I don't consider this a Scott Adkins vehicle. He's more fitting into an ensemble here. And not just a cast ensemble, I would include, you know, the DP and the sound designer and John Hyams as part of that ensemble that everybody here is doing kind of first rate work, uh, including him. But if you want to watch, you know, just a pure Scott Adkins movie, this isn't the one that I would point people to, even though it's my favorite. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and it's certainly not the one one. Like you said, it's, it's much more of kind of an ensemble and. It's also just not necessarily the one that, uh, because the movie is the movie that it is, it's not necessarily the one that I think is the uh, right way to introduce him to people. Um, but I think it's fair to say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in spite of saying it's maybe not the one we'd use to introduce him, I think it's fair to say this gets the highest of recommendations from you. I think that is fair to say, yeah. Highest of recommendations from <laughs> me, too. This movie's fucking fantastic and every time i watch it i love it even more which is almost impossible to believe um all right i'm gonna ask you just a couple of quick things before we peace out here uh put you on the spot a little bit really quick because we've already gotten your adkins recommendations from the last one uh we got some van damme recommendations from you give me uh three peter hyams movies that you would recommend people check out um i think i already mentioned them when i was running down his filmography but running scared would be my number one because that's my favorite peter himes i think the relic is a really great late 90s horror movie that doesn't get talked about enough um and busting one of his first movies a buddy cop movie that i think is really really fantastic yeah i've never seen that one and it's got my boy elliot gould in it i need to go i 70s elliot gould is just uh, such a terrific friggin' actor yeah um, he kicks ass in it um all right, and then last thing to put you on the spot, give me three Dolph Lundgren recommendations that you like. Oh, 
shit. They okay. can be basic. Uh, they don't have to be. It's you don't have to like dig deep and be clever. Just give me three Dolph movies you dig. Um. All right. Uh. I'm gonna go with. I have to pull up his filmography right now just so I can have it. Uh. Red Scorpion. Minus the walkabout sequence. <laughs> um, not that the walkabout sequence is bad. It's just my least favorite part of the movie. Um, Joshua Tree is a good one. And what's the one where he's a drummer? Command, Command per- Performance. Command Performance. Yeah. Yep. Command Performance. Those are all, those are all rock solid. The, uh, the one that I always recommend to people because I just absolutely love it to the point that I had to ask Scott about it, uh, since he was working with Dolph is uh, showdown in little Tokyo with, uh, Brandon oh, Lee. I love that movie. It's so great. It's so great. Um, all right, Patrick, thank you so much. We went, we went longer than we did last time, but I think this movie absolutely warrants it. Um, so before I let you go, uh, tell us where plug some shit, tell us where people can find you uh fthismovie.com new podcasts every wednesday on twitter at fthismovie or my personal twitter is just at patrick bromley and uh, please make sure to follow fthismovie and follow patrick like i've always said it's my movie home away from home uh and uh you know hopefully at least some of you will join us for uh for fthismovie fest Uh, i will certainly be there i'm already plotting out when to properly order pizza and all of the other things that I do uh, for F This Movie Fest. And I don't even know what the movies are yet. I don't even know what year we're doing yet, but uh, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it. So, Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, This has been, having you on uh, both of these episodes has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me on and having me back. I really appreciate it. It's really been great to talk about these movies with you. Uh, And congratulations on the show and all your success. It's pretty incredible, man. Thanks, man. I really, I really appreciate that. It's kind of surreal, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, all right. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you again to Patrick for joining me to talk a movie we both clearly love to death. And thank you as always to Scott. You can follow me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can follow the show at Adkins Podcast on Twitter and at Adkins Undisputed on Instagram. You can email me at AdkinsUndisputedPod at gmail.com. You can follow my work at the Dana Buckler Show at Linktree slash Dana Buckler Show where we talk about all sorts of movies and almost none of them are Scott Adkins related. Next week, we're diving into one of Scott's biggest box office hits as he joins the cast of Sylvester Stallone's love letters to 80s action in The Expendables 2. And joining me will be the great Jordan Cruciola to dive into that one. So until next time, bring your ears, your podcast app of choice, and your fucking champion to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world.